Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Luke. I'm Graham. And I'm Andrew. And this week we're talking about a This Just In, a latest entry on the list, Mission Impossible Fallout, which entered at number 121 and has since dropped to number 166. Christopher McQuarrie's 2018 action spectacular starring Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. We are indeed talking about that. Uh, so <laughs> that is indeed what we are talking about. That's what about. we're doing. So I, jo- I, I, we, we, we will not disavow any uh, <laughs> knowledge of this. I wasn't sure if we had the security clearance. Uh, to properly apparently talk. we do. Uh, but yeah, so to, to join us talk about this, I asked uh, Graham, who's, ta- who's been on before. He uh, runs Game Air. Uh, he writes at ScanOn. Uh, but I also asked Luke, who writes at Film in Dublin, to join us. Yeah, I'm very, very excited to be brought on. Thank you very much. <laughs> It is apparently, it is a unique podcast experience, or so we've been told. Uh, Henry Cavill. Of, of, of our particular of, of, of this particular podcast. I can't yeah. wait to find out what that means. Uh, but yes, so, guys, um, Mission Impossible oh, no. Fallout, <laughs> Fallout uh, was released about three weeks ago. Um, it's garnered rave reviews. It's being considered among the best films in the franchise. It is the first Mission Impossible film to have made the 250, which is an interesting sort hmm. of uh, I fact. wouldn't have expected that. No, me neither. Mm. Because it, it's kind of strange because it's not... Tree got, like, a great reception, didn't yep. it? Well, I, it, people generally have their preferences within the film series. The only one that everybody can agree on it's is two. that 2 is terrible. Yeah, uh, there are some I people like two. 2. soon. What? My girlfriend, we loved Mission Impossible so much, Mission Impossible Fallout so much. My girlfriend wants to watch all of them, and she wants to watch them in order. So we have to watch... I've, we've watched one, and now we've got Mission Impossible 2, and I've got it at home, and I'm dreading watching it. It's, I rewatched it's still it a John Woo movie. Yeah, it, I there's, mean, there's, there's dogs there's, in slow there's motion. There's all that good stuff. Yeah, and, and uh, misogyny dogs, from Robert Town yes. as well. By the way, um, I actually love that Robert Town when he was writing the script was like, "Hey, I need something unique that I can." Add. And he literally said this: "I need something unique that I can add to this blockbuster movie. How about some misogyny?" And apparently, nobody said no at any point in the process. Um, so you have these really awful lines that come from people like Anthony Hopkins, who's like, "You made it." Sound as if I was recruiting her for her skills as a thief. Well, then I misled you, or you made the wrong assumption. Either way, we are asking her to resume a prior relationship, not do anything she hasn't already done. Voluntarily, I might add. No. She's got no training for this kind of thing. But to go to bed with a man and light him, she's a woman. She's got all the training she needs. And you're like, somebody thought this was a good idea for a PG-13 blockbuster. Hey, this is 2018, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder who's bringing Gleason happy. The movie wasn't made in 2018. It was was before they had discovered that misogyny was wrong. (laughs) But yeah, so it's it's, it's an interesting film. But yeah, this is the first film in the series to have made the list, which is kind of interesting. Because it kind of speaks to the... Myself and Andrew sort of talked about this before, where the, the list is an interesting measure of like the zeitgeist. And so part of me wonders why this film in particular. Because the previous Mission Impossible films have been relatively well-received, like critically, and people seem to like them. They don't like them as much as they like, say, the Marvel films, which tend to always make the lists. They don't have the same fervor and following as, say, the DC or the Star Trek movies or anything like that. But it seems like they, when they when they get released, people tend that, that's to... That's not what they're competing with. They're competing with Bourne and James Bond. I don't think so. I mean, I mean in, in, in terms of, like, kind of, like, genre, when people talk about, like, kind of um, comparisons, I, like, like if you're talking about box office, which, like, I don't know 
I guess why we would, because who cares? But <laughs> the, 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 like, if 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 we're talking about kind of like um, uh, comparison, would do do people not talk about is um, in the same kind of family as 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 these other kind of spy thrillers and. It does, but it sort of stands apart from them, and I think that there's something. I think that's what people like, though. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, then sorry. Compare, then you can compare them then, because yeah. I never feel like he's a proper like, even though he does all these amazing things, and you know, we'll get into it. The only time I really felt like he was a proper spy was in the first one. Yeah, he's we, not a spy anymore. When we talked about uh, Mission Impossible Fallout on the Scanline podcast, and we kind of got into this a bit about how. The Mission Impossible movies are so like politically divorced from any kind of reality. They don't really ref- try. They don't really try to reflect modern politics and what it is to be a spy in the twenty first century. The way the Bond movies are obsessed with doing now. Right. Or... Sure. The Kremlin got destroyed two films ago, and that's just completely forgotten. Office, yeah. Like that has no impact on on the next movie or anything like that. And I think that that's something that people like about them I think that people could it is kind of the stereotypical turn your brain off movie in the sense that once people come out of a Mission Impossible movie and turn their brain back on again I don't think they generally remember them and uh, we can get into this a little bit later but the kind of the franchise staples of, of Mission Impossible have such a strangely little kind of impact on, on, on popular culture yeah. I, think, I think people vaguely remember the music and everyone knows the dangling from the ceiling. But people, I don't think people, I think as far as, if you're looking at it in terms of where it goes on IMDb and wh- why this is the first one to rank on the list, because I was very surprised that Ghost Protocol never yeah. Yeah, yeah. ranked. Being a Brad Bird. Yeah, and Brad Bird would be very kind of but people who rank movies friendly. And, and, yeah. but and the Iron Giant. I don't movies. think that people anticipate Mission Impossible movies in the same way that they do Bond no. movies or even Bourne movies you were like, oh. and we talked before about how they take very long gaps in between Mission Impossible movies so people I think people forget about them yeah. I don't think they should anymore Tom Cruise is getting a bit long in the tooth yeah but no one's going to be asking Tom like so when are you doing another Mission Impossible are, are well, some, well, they, they, some they, people might they will in the aftermath few. but they'll yeah. forget about it for after about three months and yeah. is it like it, a happy surprise but well, that's it. Well, I mean, all the, like how long was it? All the information about this one only arrived back in January. When when you compare that to like the constant news cycle that you get about, say, the Marvel movies, for mm. example, where oh, we know all James the slate through, like, yeah, like the, the, the Idris um, Elba, which is the, like is being discussed as a possible candidate for Bond, and that's mm. the movie after the next one. Yeah, you know? the the um like the likes of um like there couldn't be there couldn't be a Mission Impossible. Um, well, I'm sure there is a Mission Impossible podcast, but um, what uh, the the uh, apologies to the host of the Mission Impossible podcast who <laughs> listen to this podcast. We did send you emails to invite you on. You didn't reply, so I like, guess you chose not to accept it. Yeah, in in fairness, you were just backup um, in 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 case Luke and Graham fell through. So I mean, I, so were we first I choice? Guess you were or were right. we second choice. They were first choice. Oh, okay, they're right. the yeah. Jeremy Renner to our Henry Cavill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so no, no, but my, uh, I suppose, um, uh, Matt Gorley and Matt Myra, um, have their, James, uh, James Bond podcast. That's a great podcast. Uh, podcast where they will talk about kind of like, so what do you think this, um, this latest kind of, um, uh, revelation 
uh, memes about the upcoming Bond movie and who do you think is going to be? Um, who do you think the and they they will like pick apart like the tiniest kind of minutia of um, of of gossip or rumor. Mm, or... Yeah, you can't imagine the same excitement. No, because I think for... it's because weirdly Bond feels less superhuman than than Ethan. I don't like think... Ethan. I, I don't like, know if that's... is there going to be a twist for Ethan? Probably, probably. But then he'll just sail through it like. I, like you know, I don't think that's it. I think it's more just that it doesn't occupy the same place. I think that uh, Luke was quite right when he singled out. He said that like you don't have that like love of continuity that exists in other franchises. You don't have like a canon so, that exists. You don't. Even have... though this has the most, con- this has the most callbacks to any of the previous. Yeah, oh, yeah. it has callbacks to to one, which is which is insane. It has characters who are. Related to characters from one. Well, I mean, that's we'll, continuity. We'll probably talk about that when we get on, because you could argue this is the first sequel in the franchise. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's the shortest gap I think between Mission Impossible. It movies. is indeed. Yeah, and it was even supposed to come out earlier. I think it was supposed to come out last year. Yeah, oh, yeah. but there were negotiations between like Cruz and and the people making the movie. He wanted more money, and then it ended up getting pushed back. So it would have come and out. And then even there was sooner. of course the accident. The breaking the anchor right, yeah, yeah. production as well. So, I maybe it's maybe it's starting to to find its groove and and pick up steam. Or maybe maybe it's become maybe that explains why this is the movie that made the list because I I think that one of the interesting and I don't want to describe it as a tension within Fallout, but one of the things about Fallout is that it feels more like a franchise blockbuster than the other Mission Impossible films before it. And large part of that's down to the fact that, as Graham pointed out, it's a lot more continuity, but also the fact that it has a lot more of sort of it's less or tour driven and has the first returning director in the franchise, it has the first returning uh, leading lady in the franchise, the first returning villain in the franchise. Mm. And it's the first Mission Impossible film that really feels like it belongs in quote unquote a Mission Impossible universe. In that it feels like a Mission Impossible film for the modern blockbuster landscape in a way. That even back in 1996, the Brian De Palma Mission Impossible didn't really feel like a 1996 blockbuster, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was a very... So I watched it recently. It is a very unique film. Like, even Tom Cruise feels different than he does now. Like, Ethan Ethan Hunt even feels different. And it's just like... I, I looked up, there was apparently even fervor and... Um, not a, Yeah, I suppose anger. Because John Voight's character in that... Is supposed to be the character we know from the series. From the series, oh, and yeah. like if there was an internet back in 1996, it was getting very annoyed at what was happening to his character and his portrayal in that. There's franchise. an internet then, in the movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. they have a little animation with the little mail. So people oh, yeah. can, the, the adorable old, internet. Yeah. yeah, old people can recognize but, what an email is. It's an electronic mail Joe. because there's a, yeah, there's an animation. Ah, uh, Joe. It is interesting, like, if you go through the series, it's interesting to see, and again, we would have talked about this on the Scanlon podcast, how Cruz kind of changes his performance based on how people are perceiving Cruz himself at that time. Like, the first Mission Impossible is very much a vehicle for the world's biggest star, kind of Tom Cruise, the young hotshot, kind of... And it, you know, and Jerry Maguire the same year. Yeah, it, yeah. And then you get to Mission got... Impossible Two, and that's kind of at the height of the pre weirdo Tom Cruise, and he's treated as like this god, basically. You know, this kind of unstoppable, wooian 
looking for. So. Nature. <laughs> the, the leather jacket, one, the long One with hair. nature climbing up mountains, you know, his hair, hair billowing in the wind. In, yeah, the, the then we get to like paper. Mission Impossible 3 is right in the middle of his big Scientology kick and his kind of jumping on the couch time. And that's the Mission Impossible where Ethan Hunt is a family man who wants to leave it all behind. Isn't Ethan Hunt so normal? <laughs> Wouldn't you love to grab a beer with him? It's like the, the subtext yeah. of the opening scene. Like the opening scene is, it opens in media res with like the threat to, to his wife or whatever. But then it cuts to an extended 10 minute sequence in which it's like, look at how normal Ethan Hunt is. Look at people enjoying beers with Tom Cruise. Look at Ethan Hunt taking out the cra- trash. Look at him going to the store to get ice. Isn't it great how normal Tom Cruise is? You almost had a Freudian slip there, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) But but Mission Impossible 3, that's 2006. So that's, I think, six months after Mission Impossible 3 is Casino Royale. And a few months before that, you have the third Bourne movie. So it's at this kind of flux of, you know, this is the franchise that is keeping on going, but people don't love uh, it's it's successful, but people don't love it. And Mission Impossible Three was the one that did the worst at the box office. Yeah, yeah. So then you kind of it, and it didn't reboot, even though it was hard right there in the middle of let's reboot everything, um, if it doesn't make three hundred million dollars. But they pivoted and they kind of changed slightly. And Cruz from that point on is very much leaning into the whole thing of I'm the weirdo that does all my stunts. Like, yeah, uh, again. Cruz, he's he's really leaned into that whole I do my own stunts thing in the last three. I no, really like three that. and, and in, the, like in the last ten years in a way that he, you know, it wasn't like a big thing with him in the nineties, say, because yeah. he didn't need to be that because he was one of the world's well, biggest stars. He was, he was a well, handsome leading Mission man. Impossible too, he's doing that stunt. He's doing that, but, but you weren't getting the same but amount it's, of coverage, it's, it's and it not, wasn't as yeah. much of the discussion. It's a big about selling the point now. Yeah. Mission Impossible movies is see Cruz do his own stunts and it's like people and it's, bring that up independently is, as well but the yeah. selling point is still not see another Mission Impossible movie yeah. it's yeah. see what Cruz is doing it is funny because the third one you said Luke was it financially didn't do well at all but it has got what I would well, argue well it's got the one. best villain well, no, no, no. Like, I mean, a lot of people would argue the third film is the best film in the series, mm. but it's, it's, yeah, and Luke's entirely right here that, like, and I think that we might talk a little bit about this later on because when we were talking about this on the Scandal podcast, you mentioned that oh, this was right in the middle of Tom Cruise's very bad, not good, terrible year, <laughs> which was the one where obviously he was, uh, he was jumping up and down the couch in Oprah, which is mm. arguably the first time that something went viral. Like, it's one of the first examples yeah. that publicists think about now when they think about, oh my God, can I let my star talk on a talk show? This is like, this was the big warning light that went off over Hollywood when YouTube arrived and the internet allowed these things so to go viral. It was viral. all engineered by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> Do you have a wife? Yeah. A wife. Girlfriend. <laughs> I'm going to make her cringe. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, but then you have also at the same time you had all these scandals coming out about like the silent birth, for example, oh, or that God, I'm, yeah. I'm going to eat Katie Holmes's placenta. You have oh, this Jesus. Sort of, I you forgot ha- about I that. I would eat... Sorry. Whoa! Whoa okay. Okay. Hang on. Uh, continue. Um... <laughs> There's nowhere to go from there. <laughs> but uh, there are also, I think Luke mentioned as well, that Paramount let him out of the contract. That's uh, right. Around, yeah. Paramount, around this sort of public scandal. Paramount so. had a long-standing contract to make films with Cruz, and in 2006, they they just let it they, they let it expire because the kind of public perception of Cruz was that he was a weirdo, and 
uh, it seemed at that point like you were getting into the decline of Cruz. And without making a big thing of... Because the narrative with him has never been he's making a comeback. Yeah. But he's changed. He's quietly less public about his Scientology and all that stuff now than he was at that time. Yeah. But he's just kind of kept on keeping on. And every couple of years, it's like, oh, there's another Mission Impossible movie. And, and eventually, and he, through like just sheer force of being there, like I mean, mm, I wonder, like, if, I wonder if this is an example of like the Tom Cruise rehabilitation. In effect, is the fact that like this movie is the Tom Cruise movie that made the two fifty. Like it's like mm. finally we've reached a point where we are maybe not okay enough with Scientology to openly talk about it, but we're okay and accepting of Cruise that we can go, hey. This is a movie that we like. It's an action movie. It can I mean, we should like Tom Cruise because he has the one religion that it's okay to be like <laughs> as mean as we're being. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, I guess cult. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's, it's nice that Scientology exists because it, it, it means that we can talk about... Um, yeah. Not if you're David Miscavige's wife. It's not so nice for her that Scientology exists. Yeah. I will or, bang or, the drum that like, no, Cruise, no, no, no. Cruise so does great people. movies but is a terrible, strange man who's done awful things in the name of his weirdo religion. And we will have I'll details in the show notes fair. just to that, prevent I'm, any possible losses. I'm keeping, keeping that until yeah. the spoiler section. Yeah. <laughs> That's, so if listeners want to find out what terrible things Tom You can also done. read about some of the lovely things that Tom <laughs> has done. done. We'll include both sides because there are great points to be made on that both sides. That should be sides. part of like a Patreon. Yeah. But no, um, but I, I, th- I think there is something there. And I think that one of the interesting things and about Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible films in particular about this film is the fact, and I think that Luke was entirely correct when he said that, like, Cruz has learned not to pivot on himself and not to pitch himself as a person. Now when he does infuse, they're very, very tightly controlled. They're very, very, they're incredibly... Mm. To, like, to the point where people wonder if he's ever seen a movie. I don't... Yeah, did yeah you guys that, that was weird. He was doing an interview and somebody asked, what are some of your favourite movies? And he gave this very long, rambling answer about how he he loves movies. He lo- they're great. He loves the sitting down. I believe he loves him. the <laughs> he loves the looking at them. He loves the bit where there's the pictures and they're moving. And people's reaction to it was, "Has Tom Cruise ever seen a movie?" Now, obviously, he, he has. He definitely has. Not only that, but he loves movies. Oh, I, he I, does. I feel like that his was, problem that is was... that he didn't want to be specific. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly. He didn't want to give an answer that would be picked apart. He didn't want yeah. to give an answer that would be that would mean of... any that would uh, reveal anything about him. Yeah. I mean, because like, I guess what a person's favorite movie is probably says a lot about them. Right? Yeah, I mean, uh, Cruz is kind of built a lot. A big kind of chunk of his career was I want to work with this person and I'm Tom Cruise, so I can. So he's yeah. he's definitely like an avid movie watcher. He's just also. Strange, and, yeah, but, and anyone who's worked with him will like is always kind of like a, a, attesting to like his passion for for movies. I think you 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 and I were were um, at the the we we weren't at the premiere. We were watching it via um, satellite link. Via satellite link. I took Andrew to Rogue Nation, and it was great. Uh, the the but one of the things they did was they interviewed people on the red carpet, and they were talking to Simon Pegg. And they said, kind of like, um, what's Tom Cruise like? How is he different from from Ethan Hunt? Are they the same person? And he said, uh, no, they're not the same person. The, the big, big difference between Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise is that Ethan Hunt doesn't want to do any of the things he does. 
Tom Cruise loves what he does mm-hmm. and is really kind of uh, passionate about it and would, would probably like do it forever if he could. Well, yeah, there's the, the, the quote from one of his co-stars, probably also Peg, saying that he would throw himself in front of a bus if it made the take better. Uh, but there, there is, I think there's an interesting pivot, though, in terms of how Cruise has presented himself to the media and to people. And I think Luke sort of hit on it there, which is that he stopped doing these interviews. He started giving these more guarded answers and everything's a bit more regulated and controlled when you're dealing with him person to person. But he's understood, and I, I suspect this is in large part down to the infamous Oprah Winfrey video. Mm. He's come to understand the power of viral imagery and how the news cycle works and how the internet media sphere works in a way that's interesting because he tends to, first of all, the stunts that we've already talked about, the way that he publicizes these movies using clips and stunts. Like when he was promoting this movie going around earlier in the year, what he was doing was he was touring talk shows with footage of him breaking his own ankle. Mm. Um, but it was a snippet yeah, of footage that he could, on, yeah, on, Graham Norton. on Graham Norton that he could share and he could talk about. But I love look... Rebecca Ferguson's reaction yeah, to it in, 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 in interviews, though, because I, I heard her on um, um, uh, uh, Kermode Mayo, except it wasn't Kermode Mayo. It was um, the uh, stand-ins um, who, who's, who's, who's because because they're not the name of the podcast, <laughs> it's more difficult to remember. But I know who you are. Shmoud. Um, Shmode <laughs> and, and Shmail. Right. Yeah. Um, they, but she was saying, I know, isn't he such a crybaby? <laughs> um, like, when will he stop get going on about his, his bloody ankle? But uh, if you look at the way that Fallout was marketed, um, it's all very, very consciously viral and mimetic and very friendly to the internet sort of like memosphere and sort of Twitter and all this sort of stuff. Right. Think, of, think of, for example, the first publicity shot they released. Was, the, was not a shot of Cruz doing anything in the film. It was a shot of Henry Cavill in front of the Eiffel Tower walking away from Angela Bassett in a way that was very clearly designed to evoke the distracted boyfriend meme. Um, if you look at, for example, the, the infamous gifable moment of Henry Cavill reloading there, there, his arms. There wasn't a, a third person in that shot, though. The Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower oh, was the... Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> but, but it was very... Oh. Oh, the, okay. I'd say the marketing department, I, I think the whole Henry Cavill mustache controversy must have been the biggest gift that ever landed in their laps. Yeah. Because that is a very memeable kind of thing. Uh, and Cavill made the right call. <laughs> <laughs> of the two films he had to choose. Yeah. Um, Graham sitting next to you, devastated. One of those movies made this list no and comment. the other did not. Um I'm fine with that. <laughs> it's okay. Teen Titans Go had a lot of great uh, mustache jokes. Great, yeah. I mean, so, <laughs> yeah. so you, I mean, DC are even you know they're staring into the wind. Even Henry Cavill made jokes about those, that mustache. Did you see the video of him on Instagram? I haven't. He yeah. did a whole video of how he shaved it off, and it's literally just "I will remember you," and it's just it's just <laughs> images of him with the mustache, and he's, and he's been interviewed now saying, "Yeah, I don't really collect things. The only things I collect now are mustache memes." Because he's got so many of them. Now, I won't say that the marketing team told Cavill to keep the mustache. But, but they clearly did. But it, 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 like I, it's been said. I think it's an important decision for the character, though. It really isn't. <laughs> it is. We'll get the spoilers on. We'll get, the we'll get the spoilers on. I'll the, say why the, it counts. The, the, the where, where, where we'll have our debate. We'll, <laughs> have, to, we'll <laughs> have to split up spoiler zone into like little chunks. We, yeah. the, the mustache gets its own... That's Second. ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, um, um, the, the goddamn mustache, the Scientology, the masks, weirdo stuff, the mask, the the masks of it all. That's that's <laughs> I've got ten the layers. minutes on that easily. I won't 
derail we... another podcast of yours <laughs> with little dick energy. Oh, I feel like we have to talk about little dick energy. <laughs> <laughs> well, have we, we talked we, about the film we, yes. Whenever you're ready. Little, I don't know what little dick energy is. Oh, you're, a thing you're, about to, you're about to find out. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, then, I, guess, I, I, like, I guess the only thing left to do then is to ask the big three sounds, questions. That sounds very ominous, by the way. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, the, um, you're about oh to know. <laughs> this is where we start getting into the little dick energy cinematic podcast universe, universe yeah where everything starts everything's connected it's yeah. like the podcast we were meant to make we'll rename the 250 little dick podcast hour but um, the important thing is so before we jump into the spoiler zone let, let's, let's just jump there and ask the three questions mm-hmm. the three questions are like do you think this movie belongs on the IMDb's list of the top 250 movies of all time would it be on your own personal list of your favorite 250 movies ever? And do and you love me? <laughs> would no, you recommend um... that people go watch this? So, Graham. Yes. Um, quick answers. No, no. And I do recommend people to see it. So, no, not under 250. No, not, 250, no, not, not on your mine. 250. But yes. yes. Strong recommend. A strong recommend. It is a definite event for families. It's, um, it's for all ages. Like, there's nothing that's going to put you know take away the young'uns. Um, there's a lot of great action here. like it, and, and for parents, it's a character that you've grown up with, I guess. Because mm. he's been around since the 90s. Back when, back when like, um, we were, like, what? Close, only hitting our teens, if even? I like the idea that we just spent 10 minutes talking about how weird and creepy Tom Cruise is. And we're now like, but you grew up with him. Yeah. Yeah, because if you know what, a lot of people, we're in a weird, we're in a sphere of, we are literally looking at everything about actors and films and, and the news about that. There are people that don't see that and just go to see the films. And I guarantee you, they go to see this film, they're going to be really entertained. And then they're going to go home and go, you know what, I really enjoyed that film with Tom Cruise. I might see it again or I'll buy it I, on Blu-ray. I so, love this film. Like, some, I like, I, some people don't have weird uncles. And so, <laughs> so, like, they have Mission Impossible movies. It's a vicarious yeah, experience. Yeah, and they grow up with them. Yeah, uh, Luke? I would say no. Uh, as far as it... St- I, don't, I don't see it staying on the no. list, for example. Um, but I think I would put that down, again, more to the kind of way that Mission Impossible as a series slips out of the, the public consciousness rather than whether it deserves to be there or not. Um, I think if you're looking at the list of movies on IMDb, to me, that's a list that you're going through and you can look at any one of the movies on those lists and go, oh, I remember the moment when yeah, in that movie. Or, oh, wasn't it great when such and such did this? And I think there are moments like that in Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, we'll, we'll get to it probably, but the, the helicopter sequence at the end is strong enough on its own that I think 10 years down the line you could see that on the list and go, oh, the the helicopter movie. Yeah. I don't think that'll happen, though. No. No. Um, it's dropped 40 places in the past week and a half. Yeah. So I think it's safe to say it's not long. It's running out of gas. Would I put it on my top 250 of all time? Uh, maybe. I think as an action movie in the last 10 years, there I, because I really rated Fallout very highly. Um, I thought it was great. I, you know, I think there's a pretty decent Mission Impossible movie for two hours, and then for 45 minutes, there's one of the best action yeah. movies that I've you know seen in a long time. So, as an action movie, I would say of the last 10 years, I'd put maybe two or three or four ahead of it. So maybe down the bottom <laughs> of the personal. I, I, yeah, maybe, maybe. And absolutely, I recommend you go see it. Perfect. And Andrew. Um, I 
wouldn't um well I don't expect it to be under two fifty very long and I don't think there's anything wrong with it not being. Um I wouldn't put it on my um uh, uh top uh two fifty either. Um however I do I do I do rate this movie and I would recommend people watch it. And I suppose I talked earlier on about the kind of it's almost like a like it seemed to me a cliched thing where people do compare it to the Bourne movies and do compare it to um, the um, uh, the, the, games the Bond games movies, games. and I the, this is for me uh, show, showing showing the Mission Impossible is in ways kind of um, uh, doing better at what it does than 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 those two examples. Yeah, yeah, um, because I, I, I don't Especially think born. I don't think you can beat the um, the 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 uh, first three born movies. Um, and I think Casino Royale and Skyfall are incredible, but they, they um, like they've also shown how um, I think I, I, I think the Mission Impossible movies got number two out of the way like fairly early. <laughs> if they had started with number two, that would have been too early. Um, and if they let it long, people would have been disappointed. So exactly, just, so they made the first one so that you can make a series, and the, yeah, the second one just get yeah. all that stuff out. Imagine yeah. three came out now. Imagine that. Uh, well, uh, uh, PlayStation Which, Hoffman isn't. Um, PlayStation Hoffman. Yeah. P.S. Hoffman. Yeah. P.S. Hoffman. I get it. He's 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 okay. no longer with us. I get it, but he it was taken if he from. Was... was he taken from us in 2016? No, it wasn't 2016. No, it was like 2014. Early. Oh, earlier. Yeah. Ah, if he yeah, if he just waited, he would have been on that list. With the, sorry, sorry, sorry. I beg your pardon. Um, the. Um, I didn't say any of that stuff. <laughs> um, so thank you. Um, deep fake. Oh, Darren. Rest you, in peace. Okay. Yeah, rest in peace. We're sorry. Rest in peace. You are sorely missed. Uh, and a large part of why the third movie is the best movie in the franchise. Yeah. Uh, what I, I would agree with a lot of what's been said so far. So I think that, uh, yeah, it's not going to be on the podcast. It's not going to be on the list for very long. I suspect that it won't be there that much longer after the release of this individual episode i suspect that it won't be at number 166 when we release this episode on saturday evening but uh, i also think that it's good that's there myself and andrew had a discussion uh last so we were thinking about how there are actually relatively fewer new entries this year on the list than there were last year last year it seemed like we were constantly doing yeah. podcasts covering new entries the, on the list. and the the um the oscar season wasn't as, as good yeah. um and like last year all five best director nominees got in and then there was a lot of blockbusters that made it in this year is actually and some been... of the some of the best kind of some of the best oscar movies i mean i haven't seen some of them but it, it, like shape, shape of water didn't get onto no. list and one um, the the um, Lady Phantom Thread didn't, uh, didn't get on and was fantastic. Ladybird, by all accounts, mm. were, like um, uh, almost deserved to win. Yeah. Um, and 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 didn't uh, like. Well, not, I, I mean, it's a matter of opinion. They're not I haven't IMDb seen it, by the user way. friendly, yeah. though. Either. Yeah, in the yeah. same way that like the this Dunkirk is, is, for example. Yeah. This or, is much more. like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, two. John Wick Volume Two. Chapter two. Spider, yes. Spider Man Homecoming. Spider Man Homecoming. This has been a much more sedate summer, which is kind of interesting. It's almost like, a, like Disney are doing something to but, but, change that. But like from the from a perspective of movies <laughs> coming in, uh, it's actually been a relatively quiet year, uh, which is interesting. So it means that I'm actually 
kind of glad that we get to talk about a blockbuster. Whereas last year, myself and Andrew were very much at a stage of please let this end. Well, I'm still at a stage of please let this end. Yeah, you hate the summer. <laughs> yeah. I hate the summer. Well, no, I, I, uh, how far sh- up the list did the mummy go last year? <laughs> These are the big questions. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm good. I'm glad to see it in. It wouldn't make my own personal list of top 250 movies ever, but that's okay because there are a lot of movies. And I absolutely would recommend that you watch it. It is my favorite film of the summer so far by some significant distance. I've seen the it movie is? four times. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and it is astounding. And in particular, that final act uh, on as big a screen as you can see it. I saw it in IMAX and I saw it in iSense. It is mm. dizzy. with me. I also saw it with <laughs> you. Like, and me. I said to you, like, it's okay, Darren. I can watch it on my own. It's like, can I come? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, I want an excuse to see this again. <laughs> yeah. um, would you see it a fifth time? No, so I would, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I still think it might be my favourite of this franchise. Um, I might have to do some revisiting, but I came out with that impression, and yeah, I, having seen it a second time, I think it's it's a really, really, really good action movie. I, I've seen it once, and the, I, like it hasn't left me. Like the From the first time, I still remember every every scene, every action-packed moment of that film. And I, you know, the story's grand for me, but I still remember, like, everything that needs to be remembered. Like, it's it's a very... Mem- Strangely, it's a mem- it's a memorable film. Will it last forever? Likely, likely, likely not, but it's still, like, it's... It's still going to be there for a while, which is surprising. All right. With that in mind, then, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. franchise but i do appreciate the Wait, what effort what do you mean oh that was right that was, that was okay what, what, like, for what franchise? i thought you were out of tune sorry okay apologies how rude oh, how rude how dare you you're gonna darren, write his fuse just for the just for quickly. the listeners darren is going to do it this time <gasps> no darren is not going to do it oh what are you, are you worried you'd be out of tune i am welcome I... to the spoiler zone <laughs> <laughs> so luke what is mission impossible fallout about for you for me, Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> He's already laughing, folks. For me, Mission Impossible Fallout is about Tom Cruise's need to self-flagellate in order to make up for his own tiny dick. Speak louder into the mic. So, again, and this is the last time I'm going to say this. Um, if you listen to the episode of the Scan On podcast where we talked about Mission Impossible Fallout, I premiered my theory uh, of little dick energy. I don't know if you remember the whole big dick energy thing that was going around the internet a few weeks ago. No, I, I, I wasn't. I, I, I was away from the internet a few weeks ago. In, so you're very was, confused. Lucky you. I, I, was, I was in uh, Bulgaria, the, the only country in the EU 27 without internet. No, that's not true. That's what I thought before I went. And it's actually... <laughs> Fantastic so, place um, so, with internet. Thank you, Andrew. A bit of preamble. Um, Big Dick Energy was this thing that was going around the internet a few weeks ago wherein people that exude a certain kind of self-confidence and self-assurance and kind of this ability to set other people at ease and make other people feel comfortable and feel good about themselves because they themselves are so comfortable have an energy or vibe about them 
as though they had a very big dick. I exude so, that energy, but people are always surprised at how small my dick is. But you see, it's not, you don't have to have a dick to have this energy. Kate Blanchett, you, Rihanna, they both have the a rock. Person. Ah. Right. No, okay, well. What? He does. Well, the, the, wait, but which one am I saying yes to? It's, it's up for debate, that, but are you understanding the principle? I think so, I think okay. so. I, I, I would imagine uh, the, 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 the Rock's dick is probably bigger than Rihanna's <laughs> well, and testosterone is combined, um, you know. Yeah, uh, judging by the rest of his body. I don't, I don't <laughs> but, <laughs> Sorry. So, little Darren dick energy looking uncomfortable. <laughs> to me is is something that Tom Cruise has in abundance throughout his career. And it, in fact, informs his entire career in that Tom Cruise is such an insecure person. Like, fundamentally, he's so insecure um, that it actually turns back around. <laughs> and he has actually weaponized that <laughs> and empowered by his own insecurity. I think that drives all this the choices he makes in his career. I th- th- we we can go very in depth on this. Is it is it is but if you look at is this an Adlerian thing? Because like it the the thing about the the thing about Adlerian kind of um, a, a, approaches to um, kind of interpretation is that they're impossible to falsify. So like any hmm. behavior that that Tom Cruise exhibits, I had would, 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 I had would, extensive notes would go backing would, up this theory. Yeah, but that went right back through to the beginning you, of Tom Cruise's can career. You, can you can you think of some a movie that Tom Cruise would make that would disprove uh, the uh, small dick energy hypothesis? Because collateral? if you can't, then it's not a falsifiable theory. Co- collateral, collateral. Yeah, actually, we when we talked about this, we said that so collateral the- is. Is kind of an outlier, but is that the that. exception that proves the rule? Is that a thing? There are a, few latter, a few latter, a few latter day ones yeah. after he I starts mean, to get more self conscious. It's bad science if you have to amend the theory. I to, am, to, disclaimer to, to, to the listeners: <laughs> I am not a scientist. <laughs> a Scientologist? Oh, no, no not, I'm not that either. A um, Scientologist sounds like even better than a scientist. Yeah, but it? okay, I'm going to go all the way back. Yeah. <laughs> the first starring role Tom Cruise ever had in a movie was a teen sex comedy called Losing It. Right. Where he's a teen on spring break that goes down across the border into Tijuana in order to lose his virginity. So from the start of Tom Cruise's career, you see insecurity. Right. Then, and as you're going into Tom Cruise the star, all his big formative roles are he's the cocky hotshot with something to prove. Cocktail. He suddenly has a crisis of confidence. The... the uh, Saturdays of Thunder. So, Days of Thunder. Saturdays of Thunder. Saturdays of Thunder, Saturdays of thunder what, is what the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> or Days the, of the Outsiders. Risky Business is his Ferris Bueller. Like I'm the cool guy. Don't okay. worry about it. I've got it all in hand. The there's, that, there's that Rich Hall bit about how he just makes the same movie over and over. That yeah, was when he that, did. That's the Roger Ebert version yeah. of the, the, the Tom Cruise movie. The pool movie with with Newman. Um, oh yes, the Color of Money, Martin yeah. Scorsese's film. Yeah. yeah. So it's all he's the hot shot. He's He's top, up he's top gun. Yeah. You know. He's a pool player. Pretty good pool player. Until one day he has a crisis of confidence. <laughs> until <laughs> a woman comes along and, and teaches him uh, how, how, how to get his groove back. He's a fighter pilot. 
pretty good fighter pilot. <laughs> Until he has a crisis of confidence. And sorry. Interview with the vampire. And Rich Richard is better. And he, the vampire. He's the hotshot vampire. He's a good vampire. Yeah, but <laughs> he, doesn't have a, he doesn't have a conscious thing. That's Brad Pitt's character. <laughs> but he, he's the dickhead one. So what? So it's he's the you know, and it's what are dickheads but people that are insecure at heart. And then yeah. as you're moving into the later parts of Cruz's career, post two thousand six, when he becomes more self conscious, he's still self actualizing that energy just in a different way. So you have movies that take the piss out of his persona, things like Night and Day, or things where he kind of tries to do a big departure from how people see him, like his uh, performance in Tropic Thunder. Or movies like um, Edge of Tomorrow, where the appeal... Uh, movies like Edge of Tomorrow and the latter Mission Impossible movies, and even, where the appeal is, the watch Tom Cruise get... The living manifestation of destiny. Knocked out of him. Watch and Tom God. Cruise get killed. Don't, like, don't you hate me? Aren't I terrible? Whip. Whip. What about Oblivion? I never saw it. <laughs> Isn't he a Damn. clone in that? Uh, he's also a janitor. Yeah. So, so again... Now, you might, you might ask... Is this not just small man syndrome? No. There's a, there's a big difference between little dick energy and small man syndrome. Luke, what brought you to this, to this study? Cruz just really fascinates me. He's just, just a strange actor to me. I want to study... I don't think he's any stranger than most of them. I want to study him and Luke is, and, hoping, and Luke, Luke is hoping for a defamation suit where, like... <laughs> Well, if the condom fits, you know, what's that <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, um, sorry. It's, I'm telling you, it's this was a revelatory moment for me. Mag- Magnolia, Jerry Maguire. It's always like he's the hot shot, well, but blue. at heart, he, what's that yeah. blue one? What? You know the one where he falls into the dream thing? What's oh, Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky. Where that blue from? Minority Report. It's not bad in those ones. It's not about examples that don't fit. It's not about the quality of the film. It's about the character that he always plays. No, yeah, plays. yeah. I'd say, like, again, with Interview with the Vampire, he's the dickhead, yeah. but he's not the one that has, like... Again, it's Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt's the one. He's, like... He, Lestat is the is the monster. He And he he's the first one of those that started a generation of, like, you know, Vampire Diaries, Originals, uh, Angel, all that. He's that one. Um, with... With like, I mean, again, uh, collateral, which seems to have been the unifying one that we all kind of agreed on. He's not that in that way. He's he's a cold-hearted killer. Like he's the he's this weird quasi villain until the end, where he is the actual villain. Well, they're always outliers. <laughs> I, 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 but, no, but, but my my point is that Cruz. I'm, I'm kind of with Luke on this. I can Cruz's kind of characters are I, always informed by someone who's insecure at heart, or. Their Cruz himself, kind of playing up to, to how people now playing up to how people see him. So he's taking the way he's taking his own insecurities and actually using them to make good performances or interesting performances or good movies. So, so here's my theory: every movie is about insecurities, mm. and my theory is wrong. But you can you can look at that theory and say, oh yeah, there's of a lot course. of examples of that. And then think of every every movie and 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 and, and every star of movies. That, that's the problem uh, with with Adlerian psychology and most types of like pseudoscience is 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 that if if uh, they, I I don't know if it was, it was like Karl Popper Kuhn or somebody who said who who took this example of there 
uh, there's a person watching somebody drown. And what do they do? Um, regardless of what they do, it's informed by their by their insecurities. So if they jump in to save the person, it's informed by their insecurities because they want to prove that they're the, the courageous person who will save this person's life. If they don't jump in to save them, it's informed by their, their securities. They either feel like, oh, why would I jump in? I couldn't make any difference. Or else they're like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it because everyone thinks I should do it. Um, I'm, I'm going to prove, prove that, I, I, that I... I'm and, glad and, that you've brought up this example of heroism. Because right. as as the creator of, of the theory of little, that's an important distinction. The, oh, as the creator I, of the theory of, of little dick energy, <laughs> um, I I have also devised, and this is new to you, Darren, the uh, the Wahlberg outlier. Okay. Ooh, <laughs> okay, this might work more. So, like I was saying, you might say, "Well, this is just small man syndrome." However, it's all about that actualization. Okay, the, the need to be the hero or the need to project yourself onto something else is, of course, deeply rooted in film and most actors, many actors. Yeah. But if you look at, say, the filmography of one Mark Wahlberg. Right. Mark Wahlberg does not have little dick energy. Does Mark Wahlberg not? is just an insecure person who does not then <laughs> self-actualize it, which is what makes his performances often so... The living manifestation of destiny. Mark Wahlberg, to me, like Tom Cruise, his career is the career that Mark Wahlberg thinks that he has. You know, Wahlberg, see, like Wahlberg is the guy that famously said that if he had been on the plane oh, during 9-11, that it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I don't think, I, like, I think that Cruise climbs up on actual planes, you know, to do stunts and breaks his ankle and stuff because at his heart, he understands that 9-11 still would have happened whether Cruz was there or not. Whereas Wahlberg is so deeply deluded that he's like, yeah, I know. I'd have done a few action movies. The, 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 the because is, he's a person that has something to prove. If Mark Wal- if, if Cruz if is Tom, trying to deflect from the truth if Tom, and you can sort of, incredible stunts. If Tom, and you can sort of see that, in, I would argue you can sort of see that in the way the later films treat the stunts in the films themselves. And that, like, they tend to be treated as comedy. Like, there's the, the sequence in, obviously, Rogue Nation where he's dangling on the plane that's played as a joke sequence, almost like a Charlie Chaplin sequence. I feel like if, if Tom Cruise uh, were to say that he could have stopped 9-11, he would be closer to the truth. If you compare Mission Impossible to another long-running but not publicly beloved franchise like Die Hard, like, people will beat Bruce Willis over the fact that, oh, John McClane has become this a superhero. unstoppable superhero. Right. And that's an ego thing. And that's, you know, now, of course, there's ego in Mission Impossible as well. But Ethan Hunt is, you know, he's never going to die <laughs> in any of these movies. And you don't exactly see him covered in blood or anything like that. But he is shown as vulnerable and manic. And characters never understand, understand why he's doing anything. And it's it's... Uh, you know, well, I mean, the, it's the last... very. Dis- it's to me, it's distinctive from other long-running action franchises because it's rooted in that star and what that star wants to do. Like Cruise is the driving force of these movies, and it's just interesting to me as to why. Does it impress you though how kind of um, 
powerful is I, Little I, Dick I, Energy is? Yeah, I, 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 exactly. How powerful and universal is Little Dick Energy is? I'm using Cruz to work my way down with this thing. I'm, <laughs> I'm using the biggest example. On, but yet on my way list. here, though, I was thinking about kind of how Mission Impossible, um, especially kind of like recent Mission Impossibles, uh, make, Rogue Nations. Yeah, mm. make me think about life and and and, and how and the kind of, like, of it. No, just of 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 having like a a hectic social schedule as an adult. You f- you feel like people are telling you that's impossible. You'll never do it. Or how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of when, when uh, before and and after. Or what is he doing? Um, and uh, I mean, that, that, um, can I even say that line in the film? What's he doing? I don't. I don't even know. Yeah, what he's improvising. I would argue to a certain extent. People that start to think that you're good at it. <laughs> I would argue to a certain extent that almost fits with what Luke was talking about. Luke mentioned earlier, like one of the big recurring motifs, at least for me, running through the film. Is this idea of Cruz treating this film as like self-actualization in some sense, but also as a way of working through his star persona? Like, there's a lot in Fallout that alludes to Cruz's private life, his public life, and the public perception of him. So, to pick to a number of obvious examples, there's the sequence where he's in the bathroom and he's in the stall with Henry Cavill. And with the man that he thinks is John Lark. And there's a joke, a gay panic joke about, oh, it's a bunch of men in a cubicle together. And Tom Cruise is one of them. Which seems like an allusion to obviously the rumours that went around Hollywood, which he sued over. And obviously they're not the case at all. But the public perception that Cruise might be closeted. uh, Which is Cruise sort of acknowledging this and playing with that like public perception and rumour up front. You have later on in the movie, you have the scene where he reconciles with his wife. A wife who has been through hell as a result of her association with him. A woman who has lost absolutely everything. The movie opens with this big monologue about how she's lost her identity. She's been kidnapped. She's been victimized. She's suffered all this horrible stuff because of her association with him. And the end of the movie... Because of the IMF. Not only has (laughs) Cruz... That evil organization. organization, The IMF. We'll come back to that one. But the movie ends with Cruz on the bed saying to her, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And she's saying, you don't ever have to be sorry. And she's not the only one that says that. Yeah, repeatedly over the course of the film, you have these There's people who exist to absolve. There's a like, Ving Rhames, kind of like... Um, <laughs> they were really a, precious with Ving apo- Rhames in this film. Apologising for, 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 for Tom Cruise. It's like, uh, you should know. He, he, he He's really... He really cares about you. He really cares. I've only ever seen him care about two women. Uh, one of them may what? have been the world. <laughs> that was that was a, that was a very um, that was a very um, what you call it. Um, uh, the, the, that was like the second movie, kind of like showing it. Well, he did have a moment where he's climbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where where it made me think about the second. But movie. But it, it's also worth noting. But also you, there was some. You like, mentioned the evil organizer. He's normally a misogynist. <laughs> he cares about you. I've only seen that twice. twice yeah. um, <laughs> I've seen him with a lot of women. But it also, then you mentioned like the evil organization, the IMF, and what that could possibly stand in for that's caused all this suffering. It's worth noting that the plot, that the plot point that drives the teaser to the film is this idea of evil secularists conspires who want to like destroy religious belief in the world. They target Mecca. They target Jerusalem. They target Rome. 
uh, and and the Vatican, obviously. But the and the and idea is LA, that, <laughs> the home to the other big religion. But the idea is that like you have these. I've been there, by the way. It's um, like like not inside. Have you been to Sea Org? But outside, no, no, no. They they the to the various kind of like centers. There's okay. one on there's one on Hollywood, and there's one on uh, uh, Franklin. And I was like, is that place from Grand Theft Auto? <laughs> <laughs> This is, like, There's uh, one on Abbey Street as well. Or there yes. was. Yeah, there <laughs> was. Still there. There's, 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 still there. It's still there. They decided that they would <laughs> that they would put the Scientology Center in Ireland in the most glamorous <laughs> of, of areas. It has to be somewhere between uh, um, uh, the the Liffey and Parnell Streets, <laughs> but also like uh, not so Lewis far line. that it's past uh, Cable Street. We don't want it to be in Smithfield, definitely. Yeah. Also, we don't want it so far that it's on the IFSC. It just has to be in one of these <laughs> really upscale sort yeah, of like properly like, developed. Where did you get your idea for this location? Somebody from Dublin told me that this would be the <laughs> yeah, best for, place for the Scientology. But, but there is, I think there is an element of Fallout that is very much playing with Cruz's persona. And I mean, you and I both noticed this when we were watching. I think, I hope that we were chuckling at the same thing. There's a recurring motif where Cruz in this movie seems to have the ability to like help women reach climax simply by sustaining eye contact with them. It happens four or five times with Vanessa Kirby's character, Very The White disturbing. Widow, where you have like yeah. this that you have the reaction shot of her face where she's practically biting her lip and eyeing him up. Now there's the moment where You've never seen that. Where the moment <laughs> the moment where like there's a really great moment where he's pretending to be a badass and it's like oh, 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 this, oh, 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 this, pretending to be a badass this, Come on. this is the great John Locke. Or do you draw the line at killing coppers? At which point he goes, <laughs> I'm John Lark. I kill women and children with smallpox. <laughs> I have no line. God, you and he just... You cut to the strange. reaction shot. line was so... And I'm fairly certain a scene or two later... No, 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 wait. You cut to the reaction yeah. shot of, of Vanessa Kirby that holds for a solid three seconds of her, like her eyes widening and then going, righty-o, off to bed. Um, it's I'll really be in my hammock. Yeah, but then I'm fairly certain a scene or two later, she just kisses him for literally no reason. Oh, it, it happens again with the French woman, police woman. She the, couldn't the, help herself. With the French police woman. Remember, Tom Cruise is just articulating what it's like to be a sexy man. And who gets it. <laughs> but there's also the bit where, um, there's a bit where, like... That's very kind, Graham. Thank you. The, the, the police woman in France, when they open the door and it looks like they might have to shoot her, and then it turns out that the, the White Widow's goons shoot her instead and Tom Cruise murders all four of them in the street and then wanders over to her and puts the microphone up to her so she can call for help. There's a weird moment as well where she's sort of like, she's been shot in the stomach, she may be bleeding out, She but, does look like she's... Um, yeah, but it's like... Kind of like, stay, 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 stay Or it's just yeah. wooziness, guys. Yeah. Maybe it's wooziness from losing blood. It's there, a nice kind of wooziness. But, oh, God. Um, she, like, it's but, like, but, the, the next lover she has is like, can we do this thing? It's like, yeah, I'm into kinks. It's like, <laughs> could you shoot me in the stomach? And hold up my police microphone, please. Yeah. But um, there, there is very much an element. Well, I, I just want to point out, you said murder those guys. They were contract killers. He defended himself against them. Okay, okay. As a spy against no, other spies. By the, way, by the way, they weren't. They were working for MI6. <laughs> they, were, they were working for the White Widow. <laughs> yeah. Who was 
working for, for the CIA. They're working um, for the White Widow. They're not yeah. working for um, for CIA or MI6. They're working for the White Widow. It's all subcontracted, Graham. It's it's very ambiguous. Uh-huh. Sure. But uh, no, but again, you have that element of like. Tom Cruise self-actualizing. I think Luke has a very good point. I think you're entirely correct there. Yeah, and again, it's all these people, everyone in the movie, and pretty much throughout the series, either looks at Ethan Hunt with reverential eyes. They're in awe of him and the wonderful man that he is and all the wonderful things that he does, and he can never do anything wrong, even though in, in this movie, as in pretty much all of them, everything is his fault. And there's a weird thing where they're like, no, don't ever blame yourself for anything. Yeah. The moment where, like, yeah, where Alec Baldwin like, is like, well, you did a do- terrible thing, but but like, I I love you because you did that terrible thing, <laughs> and, I, and I and I and I and I forgive you, and I chose you because. And you that's would just do being that rain thing. saying that. Yeah. No, no, but it's also Alec Baldwin. Also Alec, Baldwin. Ha- Alec Baldwin has this big speech. He's like, you have this big fundamental flaw in your character where you cannot choose to put the millions of lives ahead of the one. You see that as a fatal weakness. But I see it as it really is. Your strength. Can we stay on Baldwin for just one minute? Okay. Because Baldwin was in... He was the director of the CIA or something. Yeah, in the last one. Film. In Rogue Nation. And in the previous film, as a warning, he talks about Ethan Hunt. Oh, to the point Hunt is uniquely trained and highly motivated. A specialist without equal, immune to any countermeasures. There is no secret he cannot extract, no security he cannot breach, no person he cannot become. He has most likely anticipated this very conversation and is waiting to strike in whatever direction we move. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. The living manifestation of destiny. And he has chosen you to be his mission. And I in, love that speech. And in this film, he is so enamored of Ethan Hunt that he has taken a, 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 a step a, downwards, a, move, a lateral move. A lateral like move. That. Some would say a step down. <laughs> I would become the director of the IMF to work with simply him. because of Ethan Hunt, who it kind of seems is like one of the three people that still works for the IMF. Because every single time, it's like the IMF. Where did Anthony Hopkins go? Where does yeah. Fishburne well, go? I, it's strange. Because <laughs> so, the, the... so Baldwin is like, yeah, simply because of you, I've left the CIA and I've joined the IMF. Since, and since... then, spoiler alert, yeah. Baldwin is killed in, to, to try, trying to save Chris. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 and holding and, his own with Cavill in the and in most fact, unbelievable stunt sequence. The only reason Baldwin's even there is because he's so keen to get in on the Ethan Hunt of it all. Yeah. He, he gets in on the mask ripping and all that. I yeah. can see why you enjoy this so much. And, yeah, and that's that's his, oh, no, he's going to die, isn't he? <laughs> M- moment. And Angela Bassett is the CIA director in Sloan, this film. Yeah. And I, I guarantee <laughs> if there's another one. There will be. She'd be like, well, you got the job done. My guy was evil. The bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> My guy was yeah. the bad guy. So I, also, I, I guess I'm in charge of IMF now. Yeah. When did Henry Cavill's uh, character, Darren, help me out. Okay. Uh, or August Walker. August Walker. When did Walker get so bad at, at, be, at, at being August Walker? Because, uh, like, <laughs> like, he said, said, like, ostensibly he was good at it at some point until he got knocked on the head in his, like, last mission. And he arrives at this mission, like, 
Finally, the most important mission. All I have to do is <laughs> like, be hunt. believable. As, 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 a, as a remorseless CIA killing machine. As a remorseless machine. CIA killing machine. He's, he's not good at being any kind of a special agent. And uh, they, like he's much better than I am. And, and the action sequence <laughs> are, are, are incredible. But like when, when he's trying to uh, convince Sloan oh, uh, that, that, that everybody... Hunt has in, gone evil. Yeah, yeah everybody in the, uh, in the cinema... Like I'm not clever at movies uh, and 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 i got like immediately That's oh yeah him. walker it's him <laughs> he's the yeah, he's, like, really he's the guy and and and, and it, to the point where i was like and of course sloan will know that he's the guy because she can't be convinced by what he's saying nobody could be convinced by what he's saying and but it wasn't just <laughs> it, it, was, it wasn't just that he was bad at being deceptive he was bad at jumping out of planes but, <laughs> he, uh, he was, that's what makes him such a great foil to Cruz because if he if, if ethan hunt is it. set up in these movies as the unstoppable man that can do anything and the movie is like ah oh, ethan hunt and the imf they're a bunch of clowns Grown men playing Halloween wearing masks. The CIA is where it at. Then the the perfect foil for him is the guy who should be a better secret agent, but is shown to be worse. He's not a secret agent. I think think he's an assassin. And he's bad at killing people. He is bad at killing tons of people. No, no. Whereas with... No, but the film sets up this whole thing of like, you're the guy that saves just one person rather than saving a million people and aren't you great and blah, 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 blah. So... The guy that doesn't care about human life at all. Again, they, I, I just, I think Cavill is great. Oh <laughs> no, I love Cavill, and I think his character is so great. And but, but it's hysterically that, funny. He's a terrible yeah. spy. It's incredible that he wasn't the person to blow the the um, uh, person's face off because, yeah. like, he, he was like he's. He, because Wait, he's what? set up as so in, in, incapable of like kind of subtlety or any kind of craft. Well, look at how he's introduced. He, he's you he's a s- hammer, rather. Yeah, he's than, the hammer. Yeah, well, but he's not the person who here's who, the thing. who messes it up by by by. But he by, is by he shooting. Uses, no, he, no, he but he uses he uses him with the yeah, face he hits him with the thing. face mask, which breaks it. But <laughs> so he couldn't. So the kid uses it. Remember, I didn't need the needle. I didn't need the needle, and he just whacks him with the device, which breaks the mask making machine. Thus, oh, but stopping it, but, them from getting the mask. But it wouldn't work anyway because the man doesn't have, have a face. face. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, but that doesn't happen until much later on in the in in the in fight. The bathroom fight. But they, like it, it, it's like, how are we going to? Oh, he doesn't have a face. Yeah. But, if the like, needle I, had I, worked, they he would have had a face because Rebecca wouldn't. Have, sorry, Rebecca Ilsa wouldn't have come in. But what? I I think Walker is such a like. It's demonstrated what a great foil for Ethan Hunt. Uh, August. August. Oh, Walker August. is. In that, because the villains in these movies, it's always kind of a yeah. high drama, like melodramatic kind of a thing. Whereas Walker riles Ethan Hunt up to the point where he's on a helicopter, and it's hysterical to yeah. watch this particular actor doing this, being muttering wildly to himself, oh, "You little prick!" Tom Cruise and then hilariously yeah, missing. Yeah. Is it weird because to hear he's Tom... so angry? That's... Is it weird to hear Tom Cruise swear? Did anyone it's else feel weird hysterical. that it was Tom Cruise swearing? It's so weird, and it's because it's so wonderfully petty as well. It's like if he were just the leader of this international terrorist organization, That's I fine. probably wouldn't say prick. But because I've spent time with him, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Uh, Sean Harris is the returning villain yeah. of the yeah. film, and he's the much Solomon more. Lane. Standard stereotypical sort blockbuster of like, villain with the big plan. Tell and, me, is there any mission you didn't accept? 
Yeah, it's the, it's, the cheesy oh, lines. Oh, Thank you. The, yeah, the cheesy lines and the history with the character and all that. And the and, weird priest imagery dream. I mean, like, what was that? Yeah. So he's set up to be the big villain, but he's not. Walker is a much better villain because he just—he's a prick. <laughs> he is a prick, yeah, and this is where to bring back mustache moment. Okay, let's, let's talk about the mustache. Mustache. The the mustache just used it. It helps you look at Cavill and instantly because he's a very very handsome man. He is, but he does have kind of a dickish vibe about him, and adding the mustache just helps you get to uh, the living manifestation of destiny this guy so much faster <laughs> because it's just a hipster aspect well, to he's it. standing behind Bassett who's great and you're like oh well, this is the thing I was again this is the joy of watching with Andrew is that myself and Andrew are watching oh, that sequence and there's, there's the moment where I, I do want a mustache but there's a moment where like it's a cut they're walking in the corridor um Bassett's in the foreground, Cavill's over her shoulder, and you can sort of see him, and then it cuts to just a simple, straight-up, head-on shot of Cavill with the moustache, and myself and Andrew break out giggling uncontrollably. Yeah, he just looks at the watch, he looks down, and is just like, yep, that's right, here I come. And, <laughs> not, not, and like, it's... That's he, what he's like! You can't see Graham's There are tons of reaction <laughs> shots to him in the movie where he makes these kind of little faces like, oh... <laughs> this this argument plays he's, to Cavill. Cavill is a really great sort of comedic performer. Yeah, yes, man from Uncle. He's brilliant in Man from Uncle. Yeah, I'd like to see that actually. It's um, brilliant. Where he was replacing Cruz, which makes the sort of casting here almost <laughs> meta. <and similar. laughs> no, no, no. Because Walker, like, this is the thing the film does, and sort of we we discuss this a little bit in the pre-spoiler zone sort of part of the podcast. Right. Where like one of the things that the film does, and it's something that Quarry does in both Rogue Nation and here is that he juxtaposes uh, the Mission Impossible films with the other big action franchise of the time. In Rogue Nation, he very consciously is going at the Daniel Craig Bond film. So you have, obviously, the opera sequence, very famously, is the one that's like mm. pretty much lifted from Quantum of Solace. Also the Man, Man Who Knew Too Much or whatever, but don't worry about that. But it's also like you have the Ilsa Faust, who is like the new Vesper Lynn-style Bond yeah. girl who has her own agency in the plot, but is also ambiguous and has this sort of conflicted dynamic going on. You have Solomon Lane, who's like a member of MI6, but he's all mysterious and dark and violent and not like a sexy spy like they should be. He's like a little grotty weirdo um, and you have this sort of thing where, but it's very much it's very much like people like Joe sorry Sean but, Harris is lovely I, lo- I do love Sean Harris but it's, it's very much I, say, I do like Joe <laughs> but uh, they're, they're very much with Rogue Nation he's playing with this idea of like the Daniel Craig Bond films and in particular that comes back here where, for example, you not only have like a gigantic throwdown in a men's room, which is an obvious allusion to the first introductory sequence from Casino Royale with James Bond, where he kills a dude in the men's room. And, oh my God, look, he's so tough and manly now. But you also have the description of... By the way, Walker. I love the fight. It, yeah, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk yeah, about we'll that in a moment. Yeah. But you also have the description of Walker as a hammer rather than a scalpel, mm. which recalls M's description of Daniel Craig's Bond as a blunt instrument. Oh, yeah. But also in this film... Like, it's very clear that, like, Macquarie's not just taking aim at other blockbusters like the James Bond films. He's very consciously tilting his hat at superhero films. And in particular, I suspect the sort of post-Nolan, like, Dark Knight serious movie stuff. And you can see that in, like, the soundtrack by Lauren Balf, who is uh, famously one of the students of Hans Zimmer. But it has this very pulsing Dark Knight Rises sort of Hans Zimmer score. You have the sequence attacking the uh, truck. Where the truck gets knocked into the river mm. after a, you know a, a truck basically forces them to divert into the subway. Yeah. You have that incredible shot. Yeah, you have the climax. 
Like, are we not going to talk about? We're gonna we'll talk about these in particular. I'm just sort of brushing by to make my point. I'm just I don't want to get the point. Uh, but and then you have obviously Darren talks in complete sentences <laughs> because he's written everything down at some point. Uh, but you have basically, for example, the cross cutting at the climax of the film, which is a very Nolanian touch. It's the only Mission Impossible film that has a properly cross cut climax, mm-hmm. where you have three strands of action happening simultaneously, which is how Nolan cuts his action sequences and arguably his biggest influence on Hollywood outside of making things darker and edgier. So you have this sense that like. Macquarie's playing with that and then on top of it you well, have the Star casting Wars, isn't it? you have the casting of the cross cutting mm. well I mean okay in terms of modern blockbusters though like in terms of how you think of modern blockbusters sort of, as opposed to having like one hero who you're following all of the time right. you're right that like the climax of Return of the Jedi does have three have three sequences that are cross cut yeah but I mean in terms of like modern blockbusters where you're thinking about like sort of how these things are defined in particular cost cutting across time and in particular you get that with the closing monologue with Sloan where Sloan literally says we need somebody who thinks about the one life so I don't have to which is very much like Gordon's monologue from the end of the Dark Knight because it's even cross cut out of chronological sequence it even shows you flash forwards to them surrendering Lane to MI6 in order to settle her friend's account with Ethan Hunt presumably having recovered from the sequence that you're cut back to him being in so you have this sort of stuff happening there. You also have the casting of Henry Cavill, uh, which is not at all a none too subtle jab at like the casting of the DCU Superman, where you have like, and it's quite pointed that his first his first big set piece is how Henry Cavill cannot fly. Uh, you also <laughs> then have at the climax of the film him getting the side of his face burned off, resembling perhaps another famous DC character, sort of Nolan character, and then you have a hook put through his head as he's thrown off a cliff. Um, it feels like Macquarie resembling. is... Resembling <laughs> Hook? <laughs> you have this sort of sense that Macquarie is in some ways rejecting the... Resembling uh, the question mark of the Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> but you have this sort of sense that Macquarie is like playing with the post-Nolan blockbuster landscape, which is this idea of morally compromised, ambiguous protagonists who do terrible things for vague utilitarian reasons. And he's contrasting that with like the simple daring do of the Mission Impossible franchise, where repeatedly throughout the course of the movie, the characters stress they have absolutely no plan. I'm working on it is a recurring motif in the film. I'll figure it out is another recurring yeah. motif in the film. As opposed to like a, 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 long a Nolan yeah. um, hero. Yeah, who's like, I'm willing to make the sacrifices that I need to make. Trying to figure out my brand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even, it, you know, at, before you even get to the credits, there's the fake out with the uh, the, bomb. the bombs actually going off. Yes. And the marketing for the film has Ethan Hunt saying that, oh, maybe we do have to be more violent and yeah. dark and gritty. And it sets you up to believe that that's what's happening and then reveals that, no, it's it's still a Mission Impossible movie. It's, it's Wolf Blitzen. It's actually Simon because Pegg. I was, I was with uh, Breed when I saw this film and she actually audibly gasped Can when we... she saw the three of those uh, locations she was like oh my god they actually did it yeah and it got me as well and I, yeah, it was like, because I, I, was, I thought I went oh. back to the, the Kremlin in um, Ghost Protocol yeah. I was like this does happen in these films. No, no, but this is very much like a, you know, we're not that sort of people, Ethan. It's like, maybe we should No, but be. it's not even that. I, I was, it was legitimate. I didn't feel like this is going to be a fake out. As the scene continued on, I was like, okay, this is a fake out. But when it happened, when the moment came, I was like, we have seen moments no, we, like this happen we, in the we, franchise. We, we, we've we seen were, the Kremlin 
like, literally fall. Ethan Hunt is on the run from the IMF pretty much constantly. <laughs> yeah, like, when is he because of his own a normal failures. spy for the IMF? There so, are no normal spies for the IMF. The first movie <laughs> taught me that that that, that they it's like it's like they're um they're like Clive Owen playing a piano and and then all of a sudden their phone rings and it's like no. Why do I have to be in the IMF? Maybe, you know? maybe, maybe the reason why we don't have any normal spy films for the IMF, for the Mission Impossible films is because the actual only one in the franchise where he is a normal spy doing normal spy things is the second one. And it was the worst one. He's an actual normal spy. He's not going ghost. He's not going rogue. He's not being disavowed. He's actually doing an actual mission. He's not being tricked by um, his team. Or he's not and being I mean, like the government. Bond movies, he's also casually misogynist. Yes, and it is the worst one. So maybe they thought, you know what, he needs to be an underdog. He always needs to be an underdog. Because when he's actually working with, you know, the, with his actual government, he's not that interesting. An underdog, you say. Like, there's <laughs> something small about Oi, him. The underdog can have big dicks. <laughs> Why is this keep coming back to an admirable sentiment. <laughs> but what about their balance? Um, that doesn't matter to nature. But anyway, but yeah, I think that the movie very consciously sets you up to think this is going to be a darker and edgier Mission Impossible film. In fact, like it sets up this idea. We talked a little bit earlier about how it feels like a modern franchise film. It has a returning director. It has a recurring cast members. It has a returning villain. It has a sense of continuity. It brings back stars from all the previous films as well. So it sort of it looks like a modern mm. studio sort of big budget blockbuster. Looks like the Bonds a, recently, but it completely rejects the idea of like moral compromise or ambiguity or darkness or like. I think that's kind of the strength yeah. of these movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the kind of uh, sim- simplicity of them, and that they don't really kind of. Um, this is very kind of this is very PG thirteen and but it kind of flirts with just enough with mm. with, with with the idea of like um, jilting you into thinking for a second this has become a serious movie and then it's like mm. oh it hasn't because they do it repeatedly they, they do, do it with the bombing they the... do it with the um, massacre yeah. of of yeah. Um, they the do it with the yeah. with the, they do like, the at nukes. the very end where the where yeah. the nuke yeah. like kind yeah. of... goes off there's also yeah it should be pointed out like repeatedly over the course of the film it's revealed that e- uh, Ethan Hunt's biggest nightmare is the idea that somebody innocent will die as a result of the decision that he makes. His opening nightmare where he dreams of his ex-wife mm, being yeah. caught in a nuclear blast and evaporating because of the decisions he makes. The sequence later on where he imagines himself in this situation where he has to kill an innocent police officer in order to maintain his cover. And interesting enough, Macquarie's talked about how in his original draft of the film, A, he was going to kill uh, Jeremy Renner. In the opening Yeah, sequence. that's why Jeremy Renner didn't come back. And then he realized no one would care. Yeah. I would. I like Jeremy Renner's character. Um, Graham is champion. What's his name? The, the underdog. Uh, hold on, give me a second. It's Grant. It's Brand. Damn! I, I have no way of disproving this, so I'm going to say that you're correct. C or A-N-D-T, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I like him. Yeah, I like him. Oh, he's, a, he's, an injury, he's a fun character who, who actually got his day at the office in the last one. I thought he was a great comedic foil with Ving and Simon. I thought the three of them worked off really well together. Yeah, he's still the new guy, but you know what? He lasted longer than John Reese Myers, so you know and we need other characters than just Ving Rames. But by the way, it's getting really tired and I'm long in the tooth in this one. He should have died. I think he should have died. But any but Macquarie basically I mean, I mean no let's, let's like engage with this point. I, I, I see what you're saying, but 
You like Batman v Superman. <laughs> so what? So do a lot of people. Sorry, sorry. You know that the, 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 was low. They, they it also, was low. They also did consider. I kill- liked it more after having seen Man of Steel. And I wouldn't have seen that if you. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, they did. They did consider killing off uh, Luther, uh, Bruce yeah. Wayne's character. But then they decided the optics of that in 2018 would not be great. But, yeah, no, the reasoning behind it was weird. But the other thing I would say about the potential of killing off Bingham's character is that again, if you look at how every couple, of, like they take long gaps in between films, it's usually like yeah. four years or five or whenever they get around to it. I always forget. That Luther, do you forget about Luther? That, that Ving Rhames is His in all friend. of these movies. <laughs> yeah, even if they're for like um, fleeting seconds. Particularly I, because, yeah, I, I think it's the fourth one where he yeah. shows up in the last two in the minutes. Beer, and he's, yeah, with a, for a beer. For, for a movie where none of these people are going to be compromised, where you don't have to worry about it, I would, like, I, I could have probably done to care more about them. I really like like I'm I, I, I watch these movies and I don't care about Ethan Hunt and I don't care about his friends oh. and and even though like I I enjoy the movies I I kind of don't like them I will like, say like, and, and like I I, I I like the movies and I like kind of their adventures and that but I don't invest at all oh. and and like why not have me invest because I know you're not going to kill them. Why not have me kind of? Were you invested in August Walker? Yeah. Oh, okay. So <laughs> yeah, it this, worked this is time. like when we watched <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, well, and I was to, like, to, the, the really interesting guy is the, this is the, the bad guy. Yeah. No, but to to follow on from that is if there is something that you could criticize Fallout for, it's the kind of way that it detracts from Rebecca Ferguson's character having set her up so well in the previous. Yeah. Film. I think that. You kind of you don't expect much as characters from Peg or Ving Rhames because they're just set up to be cheerleaders for for, for Ethan Hunt, yeah. Yeah. and they you know that's their that, role though? in the film, and they do it. What, why because is they're that? Because they're beta males. Yeah, it's like there's someone on set that needs people around him at all times. To, <laughs> to he talk. needs an entourage. It's like it's like it's like someone on the set needs Simon Pegg to go out in real life and give interviews in real life about how cool and sound he is. Yeah, you watch a lot of that, For some reason. I've watched watched a lot of interviews with him and all he talks about is how amazing he is. You don't expect much from those characters, but um, Rogue Nation introduces Rebecca Ferguson's character really well. Yeah. Ilsa Faust. Ilsa Faust. Great name. Yeah, it's a great um, name. With an, a very Bond villain naming. Very mm-hmm. memorable it is sequence. And then it brings yeah. her back here. And I think the movie... And this is why I'd say it's a detraction. I think the movie is trying to get you to invest in her character with this whole thing of how she wants to get out of the spy game, mm. but she can't. And there's conflict between her and the story of the film mm-hmm. because she wants to kill Sean Harris and they need to get him alive. Yeah, alive. But it's, it it, yeah, it, it revolves around Cruise too much, and it loses that, and it literally it, it doesn't drop no it. It loses like, it. If, or at least you can see, like, like uh, it's worth noting that the moment in which all of this is articulated, which is another one of my favorite Cruise moments, sorry, sorry, I, in like shot yeah. reaction shot, is the bit where they meet in the garden of the Louvre. Yeah, and no, no, and Tom Cruise uses his mind reading ability to interpret her entire backstory for her in a way that's very disconcerting. It's like mm-hmm. you were there to protect, Le- no, you were there to kill Lane. Why? Oh, because MI6, you need to prove your loyalty. Then. Why not Why? give her... No, no she was there to kill like, Arkin. 
But yeah, but the, but the, the way the, the way the scene yeah, yeah. What I, what I found really sad Sorry. is, and what what I love about Ilsa Faust is the fact that in the first one, she is a mystery. She's much like August Walker in this one. She is a new factor, so you don't know what you're going to get. And then you get something really interesting and really engaging, and that's partly because uh, Rebecca Ferguson is a great actress, and also because the part was very fascinating. In this one, what would have been really cool, in my opinion, is if she was genuinely a threat to... To to um, Ethan yeah. in that bike in that bike scene where they are chasing where she's chasing him down and you and you don't know who she is I say in air quotes because you obviously know it's Ilsa and that is a threat that is interesting I wanted an all out brawl between the two of them to get Solomon Lane that would like have an been actual fight that a was, fallout yeah, exactly <laughs> but I would have never actually seen I don't have to seen her because she no, is so sorry. she's so so sorry um just so con- confused yeah and I loved yeah. it. I would have loved that and. I'm sure Macquarie has an explanation for it, but it is a bad edit that mm. detracts from this the most because she is trying to kill Harris and she's against them. And then there's the underground sequence mm. and then there's like a cut and she's just running into the van with Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg and she's just with them then. And the whole thing is never brought up. No, yeah, <laughs> again, thinking, it's like, just, is there, there is a there is a cut and then she's just on the other side yeah. and something's been taken Literally, out. It's actually been just... Um, Oh, Solomon Lane can be killed now? Grand, we can be friends again. And so she's just flattened out into this kind of love interest, which I don't remember her being. She was not, no. It was very much that they were kind of equals and that yeah. they respected each other in Rogue Nation, whereas now it's, he's only ever cared about two women and you're one of them mm-hmm. and, oh, that's his wife. Like, it, it, it takes away that's from her the character. <laughs> and no, yeah, it, was really, it was really disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Unlike the and also the, now the fact that at the end of the film they're now kind of like together, it takes away any chance of there ever being another antagonistic nature between them. And the thing is, that's I know I always say it. I love villains and I love antagonists. Um, Elsa Faust is maybe like one of the best possible antagonists potentially for Ethan Hunt because. She's just so fascinating a character. And I, I think it's a shame that this is possibly the la- the last of, of the... the I, I don't know. I, I had, a, 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 like, uh, my now. suspicions. But but if if the next movie could, it could be um, that this movie was just setting you up to think that <laughs> she's his love interest and, and his whole kind of, like... Um, uh, life finally settles down the way he wanted it to be, but it was the one way for the apostles to get to him. <laughs> you know um, what? That's kind of cool. Yeah, then, and 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 then it would be like, oh, well, then, then, well then, well then, um, and then they raise uh, Fa- from Fallout the was a fine movie. Yeah, and then, oh, they raise all of the... from the dead, and he takes on Ethan again. <laughs> Nine no isn't dead. Hmm? Oh, sorry, Walker. No, oh, Walker. <laughs> I mean. We never saw the body. <laughs> we didn't see a body. I mean, that's very fair. All we saw was the body. <laughs> All we saw was the head. He has a lot of muscles. But it was a he could conceivably have survived. Hey! Okay, can we, so, can we get to like the action set pieces now? Let's talk about the action yes. set pieces. Who wants to, which one? Will we, go, will, we go, will we go chronological? So it would be the bathroom? Well, okay, the first one's Skydive. Oh, Skydive. Skydive. Oh, yeah. pick one. The Halo Jump. The oh, ha- I pick bathroom. Team. Well, okay, that's yeah. not what we're doing now. You lead us bathroom. through, then. Yeah. You go with bathroom. Okay. Go with bathroom. I, I love the bathroom scene because I just love the fact that if um, if August wasn't in that bathroom scene, Ethan would have died. That guy, like the the guy, the fake John he Larkin. Would've, he would have stabbed him with the needle and it would have gone perfectly. Oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry, excuse uh, me. But 
but like it's just it's such an amazing fight scene. Like the fact that he throws him through the um, through the wind through the mirror, the yeah. double mirror I, is just I love ridiculous. That throw. Um, well, the entire sequence is amazing, yeah. where they're bashing each other through walls and stuff. It was originally intended to take four days to shoot, and ended up taking four weeks to shoot. Makes um, sense. It's an incredible sequence, and it's incredibly low-key. One of the things I like about Fallout, as compared to the other Mission Impossible films, and apparently this was a conscious choice on the part of Macquarie uh, and Cruz, is that the Mission Impossible films traditionally peak in the middle of the film. So like, if you think about the sequences that you can remember from the films, with the exception of film number two... In film number one, it's the dangling from the ceiling in Langley, which happens halfway through the film. Mm-hmm. Um, in, Mission, in Mission Impossible 3, it's either the Vatican heist or the bridge heist. It's not the running through Shanghai or the fighting in the grotty whatever. In number four, it's the climbing of the skyscraper. Not the... It's not the car vending machine. Gotta in, hate that. In number five, it's the uh, it's either the opera sequence or the wonderful underwater... The opening. In five with the with the plane, yeah. Well, it's that, or it's the underwater dive sequence, or it's the opera sequence. It's certainly it's not. not the, it's not the Alec Baldwin speech. It's it's not the running through London sequence. The Whereas, Baldwin speech was the highlight for me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always in the middle, aside from and, which and one. I, is okay, my, my, I mean my, that sincerely, my, by the way. We yeah, will yeah, get to that. Yeah, in my, a my point is more that they don't build historically. Yeah. The Mission Impossible films don't build towards climaxes, whereas this movie consciously ramps up its set sequences mm. with the possible exception of the skydive, right? So you have the... It's bath- a halo jump. It's not a skydive. Okay. You have the bathroom fight, you have the car chase through uh, Paris, and then you obviously have the, uh, the the running through the roof, the breaking of the yeah. ankle, and then you have the big 45-minute helicopter. I, I will say, can I, I just say, I, I, I feel... before, you, before you guys just, because I know you guys are going to get into it, I, t- I said the bathroom scene because it is my favourite, and I actually am not a huge fan of the helicopter fight at the end. That's why I said the bathroom scene because I actually think the film like just set a perfect tone and then kind of went down a little bit for me. I love the bathroom scene because I love fist fights. I, I want, thought and it was perfect. I, 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 I want to hear about Luke's uh, yeah. favorite because I'm I'm worried that I'll get into a nerdy conversation <laughs> with, with Graham. Say like, was the skydive? They dive through the sky. What was a, a halo a, jump? A, a halo jump is a high altitude. But isn't that what the opening <laughs> skydive? Oh, okay. Excuse me. Sorry. Sorry. I feel dirty. No, 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 no. No, no that's perfectly fine. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for the education. It's an educational podcast. Sorry. That is e not, for educational. That is not what I want to be on this podcast. Educational? And Andrew's always been the grounding, reasonable voice here. Pedant. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, Luke, what was your favorite action sequence? Of the action sequences, I, do, I, I think the helicopter scene is what takes this film up a level into being like a great action movie instead of like a fun action movie um, I think it's really difficult to do not just technically obviously with all that stuff but to to as you're saying to edit between the three sequences so well and to keep the tension going up and up and up and up rather than like there's bits if of comedy breathe, in yeah. between there or but there, there are no breathers and it does mm. successfully managed to get you to one point which is when the and like no action movie really does this no action movie actually gets you to the point where the timers get to one and you actually feel any sense of tension and no when it gets to one here you don't actually think that the bomb's going to go off but then it flashes to white and for about 0.3 of a second you're like oh Mm. maybe and that's a big success I think and he comes out of the blast radius so you know and he wakes up in a hospital. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that is after, but... Well, he's holding the thing in his mouth, so you yeah, know yeah, that he, he but stopped it. For, you know, yeah. like, we have certain... There are certain tropes that you everyone knows from action movies and nobody can take seriously anymore. But Mission Impossible doesn't take itself seriously in general. It's very so Mission Impossible can still go, ooh, you gotta cut the One red second. wire, you gotta cut the green wire, and still get you. Yeah. And I respect yeah. a lot that they're able to take something so simple and so overdone to the point where it's like, well, you can't do this anymore. And, and does it very well. Like, if you compare it to Bonds and Borns and all of those, they are so self-absorbed and so dragged down by what's it like to be a spy today and oh, what, what does it mean the to be James Bond now? And they're so bogged down by... Bond in particular is so bogged down by its own tropes that it has to have something to say about those. Mission Impossible is like, cut the green wire. <laughs> cut and the red wire. And the as well. Yeah. Like, whereas Mission Impossible doesn't have that... Well, it has except, the TV show. Except that it, it has the TV it, show. It does. And I wanted to say, the, the helicopter sequence is my favorite action scene. But it's not better than the mask tearing off scene. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, 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 the other one. Oh, and I'm going to let everyone else finish their favorite action scenes. But I want to go back to the mask stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we, will, we will come back to the master. Just on the no, helicopter uh, sequence. Oh, sorry, sorry. Just on the helicopter sequence. The thing is, the film was actually designed backwards. And I love that this is how you plot a Mission Impossible film if you're Christopher McQuarrie. And I suspect this is why McQuarrie is the first returning writer-director for the franchise. Because what happened for the development of Mission Impossible Fallout is that Tom Cruise arrived and said, Hey, Chris, I'm learning how to fly a helicopter. You should do something with that. <laughs> and McQuarrie's like... Okay, I will do. So he begins researching and he says, all right, Tom Cruise wants to fly a helicopter at the climax of this film. What I need is I need a country that will let me let Tom Cruise (laughs) fly a helicopter with affordable insurance uh, in order for us to film this movie with no license or with a license that's only four months old by the time we shoot it. And uh, so he's like, okay, we have four possible countries. One of those countries happens to be New Zealand's the best looking one. But a lot of spy stuff doesn't happen in New Zealand. So what can New Zealand double for? New Zealand can double for Nepal. It's like, oh, there we go. And there's our plot. So that we know the end of the film, he's going to end up in Nepal flying a helicopter. Let's work backwards from there. Do you think ever anyone had a, a Darren Mooney? <laughs> reaction to it. A moment of like genius. It's, it's like, like the reaction when you, when you landed on, what was it? The, the Prestige. prestige. Yeah. It's like a gasp. It's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm easily excitable. I love um, it. It's um, great. It's very... why people still tune in. It's very <laughs> genuine emotional reaction but uh yeah but i like that that's how you plot it and it's like okay so then they're gonna get out of the helicopters they need to fight so we're gonna need to film in norway so while we're in norway what else can we do in norway and it's like literally that's how you plot a mission impossible film because of course talked about how his original plan for the film was more plot driven he was going to get into a whole host of that like uh ethan hunt has to kill somebody some innocent person in order to save the world he's like actually on second thoughts it's not about that it's about dudes in helicopters shooting at one another um and i i love that the sequence is so fantastic and it's so playful i love those reaction shots of walker where the camera yeah. is like halfway out in the helicopter, Walker's just sitting down, being Walker, <laughs> and behind it, I love that. Yeah, the, and behind it, you have Cruz pulling himself up, Charlie Chaplin style. On the it. only way it could have been better is if the entire action scene was filmed from that point of view, <laughs> with him climbing up and falling down, climbing up again, and throwing the guys out, and then gradually chasing after and the their helicopter, helicopter sort of wobbling. all while Henry Cavill is sitting there like. <laughs> What's on checking his iPhone, just reading yeah. his messages? It's like, uh... oh, I'm just going. I need to buy some 
mustache trimmers. Yeah. But and like again, it shows how great Cavill is because his expression on that is it's so funny. <laughs> like if he knew anything was happening behind him at all, it would ruin it. But yeah. he's just <laughs> so oblivious. Just sitting there, and like Walker, a- Agent August Walker, hasn't a <laughs> breeze between his ears. <laughs> He's def- he's not reading he's, a book. He's probably <laughs> he's, he's probably forgotten where he's going. Yeah, in fact, is. he's not actually going anywhere in particular. He just has to go away. Yeah, he's just get at the blast radius. I, I I do actually love the idea of like Walker walk- sleeps standing up. And- <laughs> but that, that's it. Like one of the great things about Walker is the sense that like he's he's on the one hand this like really bold revolutionary anarchist leader who wants to demolish the existence of states as we understand them. On the other hand, he's the dude who doesn't understand how to use his oxygen tank when he jumps out of a plane in the middle of a thunderstorm. Yeah, I, love that. <laughs> that so I love that that's not a trick. Like yeah. uh, he, is, he is putting on an act and, oh, the spies and all oh, their secret identities, but Walker is legitimately very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and that enriches the character and makes the film more entertaining. It's a great choice. Yeah. Um, in terms of action sequences, I absolutely adore that. I really like the Paris sequence. I think mm. the Paris sequence is great as well. Um, in particular, I ha- I saw this a couple of times. Last time I saw it um, was with uh, was in the iSense at the Odeon, which is a very quiet cinema. If anybody's ever been up there, it's been described as the cinema that's like an airport off peak, um, and it's it's great because nobody's ever on their phones. But I was there, and there was this couple sitting like a couple of rows down from me, and I don't know what it was. Maybe they hadn't seen a Mission Impossible film before. But, like, whenever anything would happen, you get a, oh! The living manifestation of destiny. <laughs> That's impossible. I love Jesus! That. Yeah. I love that in my cinema experience. No, no, no but more. it's like, and, and it happens several times during the sequence. So, so for example, there's the bit where, like, Cruz uh, barrels, the, uh, barrels the truck into the carrier that's carrying Solomon Lane and it falls into the water and you get that great shot of the water filling up and Lane doing this panting, 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 breathing. And he's really good at that. Yeah, yeah. he's very good at like, that. Like, he, he, like that, I love that touch that, of course, Lane is this um, super agent. agent. Yeah. So, uh, like, he, he's probably been in a, in a truck that's drowning in a river I guarantee you he too can hold his breath for six minutes <laughs> but um it, it, yeah but, and that's why I was disappointed that they opened it so quickly yeah. like, just take a little time let him yeah. get settled but like that was the first point where someone went oh Jesus uh, as the water sort of swallowed his face and then there's the bit where Tom Tom Cruise drives his motorbike into oncoming traffic around the sort of Champs-Élysées um, uh, the Arc de Triomphe sorry and they were like oh the living manifestation of destiny <laughs> uh, which was just astounding and then there's the bit where it's where he basically he's driving the motorbike and he hits the cop car and he rolls on the ground and he pulls out the knife and the guy's like what's he gonna do with that knife um, and then like as the cops sort of flurry around him he sort of hobbles over and makes a dive sort of behind the bushes and then you know the camera sort of pushes up on the bushes and there's a hole in the water uh, the hole in the fence and he's dropped down into the sewer where he's been collected by Benji and Bing Rames and the breather of that is there's a little silent moment where Tom Cruise adjusts his hair, but the couple beside me were like, well, that's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> um, and that just made my day. I, lo- I love those couples. It's the perfect emotional barometer for the film. Yeah, it's one of those see it, see it with an audience sort of movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when, when, when we're watching Bao. Oh, <laughs> when we're watching Bao and Andrew the, was very... No, uh, the, 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 no, not when we were watching Bao, when you were watching Bao. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Someone's like... The fuck? <laughs> There's a moment, yeah, a moment in Bow where the Silanthropomorphize. By of, the way, that wasn't a curse because I'm spelling it D A F U Q. 
Huh? Uh, oh, okay. Um, but oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> but there's a moment where, yeah, where they pick up the little anthropomorphized dumpling and the woman shoves it in her mouth and eats it. And somebody goes, the fuck? <laughs> um, but yeah, that, one of those great audience responses. But what about yourself, Andrew? What is your personal favourite action sequence? Oh, um, uh, the, the toilet action sequence. I mean, I, mean, I, I know I know Graham's all, uh, already picked it, but I'll, 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 I'll double down. I'll, in, in, in fact, I should cede my uh, choice, um, as Graham's already talked about it, to um, to Luke, who I think would like to talk about the, the mask. Uh, mask. Yeah, so <laughs> the, I mean, the, the masks are very... The, they're actually a very good point about talking about the audience reactions to these movies and the audience perceptions of these movies, because they do this every time. Yeah, they all do a mask bit, sometimes two, yeah. sometimes three. Luther never gets a mask, and it's always hysterically funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so, but it's so ridiculous, and yet it hasn't kind of made any mark in pop culture at all. People don't associate Mission Impossible movies with Mask. ridiculous sequences where people reveal that actually they were somebody else the whole time. Yeah, it's usually Scooby Doo actually, and they should because they do it every time. <laughs> And it's always one of the best bits in the film, and it's it's always great. Like the the wolf blitzen, the yeah, (laughs) the wolf blitzen one's ridiculous, and yet so entertaining. And in the previous film, the Ethan Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny. He's saying that as it turns out (laughs) to Ethan Ethan Hunt, Hunt, which is incredible. And I don't. It would be such an easy thing for this to get to self parody about. Like, if there was a Saturday Night Live sequence about Mission Impossible, you would think that it's a layup that they would do a bit where it's like they rip off a mask and actually there's someone else. But that doesn't generally happen because, and it's the key to Mission Impossible as a series success, is that these movies don't take those moments too seriously. They don't take themselves as a franchise too seriously. And when in the film, it they kind of, draw attention to it and kind of hang a lampshade on it. The IMF is Halloween, Alan. A bunch of grown men in rubber masks playing trick-or-treat. If that were a joke in a Marvel movie, it would be, we pointed out the joke so you can't make the joke about us. Mm. Whereas Mission Impossible is just like, yeah, we, every time we do a mask thing, and it's always silly, but it's always good. You see, another, another, like, like, they're wrong. They're demo- they, like the CIA are in the wrong for finding the mask stuff stupid <laughs> because the mask stuff always works. But that's it. Walker makes that point right before it's revealed that he's talking to Simon Pegg in a mask. Yeah. So more and- serious action franchises can say, "Well, the Mission Impossible movies suck. They people don't remember them. They don't make as much box office as us. They're not as big successes as us." But. They're still, strong. they're still really great and it's because of stuff like the masks and it's because of stuff like Cruz and his his, um, his willingness to, to push himself so far you know the, the things that Mission Impossible does that other series don't do are what make them so good mm. and it's so funny it's so funny <laughs> <laughs> I mean like, I, actually, I love the, the Blitzen bit because it's quite literally fake news um, where it's like he's recording the statement and I love how the movie, even as it's parodying the darker and edgier style of stuff, it 
openly revels in the absurdity of the situation. It's like, uh, so I will, I will give you the details if you get him to read it out loud. And it's like, okay, it only takes one phone call and 20 seconds for us to get this terrorist statement read by Wolf Blitzen on CNN Live. Like, when I was watching it, for a moment, I was like, oh, that's amazing that they can do that. No. Oh. <laughs> but I was like, it's incredible in the other way, too. <laughs> oh, it's... Like a, the, yeah. What I find really funny is that um, in most franchises or or any uh, uh, in film or in television or that, when they usually call out themselves on something like that uh, because they know maybe it's getting um, it's getting a bit silly, they t- when they point out that joke, they will then pull back in that in say that episode, say that season, say mm. that uh, film. Instead, this one, this one might have the most mask reveals of all the Mission Impossible. No, no, it doesn't. No, not more, don't not more so. than the first one. Um, one only. Or I, two I, one, as well. Two Mission Impossible one has two. Mission, Three, maybe. Three, uh, maybe. And Mission Impossible 2 has at least five. There are compilations. I think there's more in this. Yeah, <laughs> just to keep track of these. We'll put them in the show notes. But I think that, yeah, there, there is something in there. And I love that Simon Pegg, having spent the past two movies complaining about not getting to wear a mask. No, he got gets, to wear a mask in the last one. It was the one before Ghost Protocol because they had no tech. So he was really annoyed that he couldn't. Couldn't wear a mask. Yeah. But uh, I also like the whole sort of like... Are they are they secret agents or are they like celebrities thing that happens mm-hmm. with the Because it's like the Wolf Blitzen thing where the the walls of the set sort of drop. It's very much like it's like the opening scene in the first film where it's like, oh my god, it's a television set. It's like there's Wolf Blitzen over there reading the news live. Oh no, it's just an actor doing a very good impersonation. And you have this thing that runs through like the series where it's almost like the IMF. They aren't really secret agents, mm-hmm. or maybe you know they're Hollywood idea of secret agents. But they're also, like, just people who make movies. Because you can read each of the Mission Impossible films as, like, a metaphor for a particular type of movie making. Like, there's the first film where Ethan Hunt basically figures out that he's in a sting operation because he recognizes the extras from an earlier scene. He's like, oh, yeah, those two guys, they were at the party earlier on. The the whole restaurant is basically from the the party. And there's the bit at the start where he basically, he's on television, like performing this role in order to convince this guy to give up the information that he needs. And it's very much a television set. You've got like a director calling yeah. cut and stuff like that. In the third film, it's all writerly. You have the discussion like the rabbit's foot, which is quite literally like it's it's a plot device. It's like, I don't actually know what this thing does, but I know that it needs to be bad in order for this plot to work. Or you have the discussion, the bit where they outline how they're going to get the plot point that they need. And he has a little diagram and he explains how he's going to do it. And it all happens off screen. Um, he's just, as long as he's outlined the idea, that's enough. And the fourth film has, like, the the failing technology, but it also has the recurring sense of working under budget mm. uh, and under really tight de- deadlines. The point where Brand is an accountant. Mm. And Brand's job is to show up and say... Well, it's in Dubai. Yeah. That's, <laughs> what that's, that's after the third one, which was the least yeah, successful one financially. Blue for blue, red for dead. But Brand <laughs> is, Brand's job, basically, is to say, this is ridiculous. What do you guys... The plot doesn't make any sense. He's like, so explain the logic of the sequence where you killed the guy, put the flare on him, and threw him down the river, and the bad guy shot at him. Why would they shoot that? Like, what were they thinking you did? You jumped in the river with a flare? What was the logic behind that sequence? Um, and you have this sort of discussion that happens throughout the film in that sense as well. You also have this recurring thing of, like, none of the technology is actually working, so they have to do all the effects themselves. And they have, like, the fourth film has a great sequence in the Kremlin where they defeat the bad guys using green screen. That was amazing. Where they, like, they have this sort of mapping. They move, they make the corridor shorter. And they also at one point arrange, they rearrange the internal structure of the skyscraper. So two people are having the same meeting at the same time. 
but with different people instead, which is very clever. I as can't well. wait to get get to Ghost Protocol. And and this one, this Fallout is basically it's like a sequel. It's like what would happen if you made a sequel? It's like oh well, we're bringing back Solomon Lane. We have to bring back Solomon Lane. Oh look, Ilsa Faust is back. Are Ilsa? What's she doing here? Oh, that's because continuity. Oh, it's your ex-wife. You haven't thought about her in like three movies. Let's so bring she's her been back. in the last two. She wasn't in Rogue Nation. Was she not in Rogue? No. Nope. Was she not at the end of Rogue Nation? No, she was at the end of Ghost Protocol. Okay. Very, very briefly. But it's like, it's like if you were making a modern franchise film, Fallout would be it. It's like if you're making a Mission Impossible sequel, it would look like Fallout. Can we talk about that? We, we've mentioned the, the things that make uh, Mission Impossible uh, great. And we've mentioned the masks. Or, or, or maybe not the things that make them great, but the things we associate them with. Um, one is the mask. The other is the um, recording that that um, that tells you about your mission and will self destruct oh, yeah. in five seconds. Uh, played by um, Chris Macquarie in this one. Exactly. Um, another another part of Mission Impossible movies or even the show is the theme tune. Yeah. Mm. And um, I heard people say about the it is it the music in this movie is good, but. I wanted them to use the theme uh, iconic theme song uh, more, or use it more. Like at the like, people said, "Oh, they use it at just the right time." I felt like it was it was uh, it, like like for 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 me, that's one of the kind of strengths of this movie. I remember in nineteen ninety six or nineteen ninety seven. Oh, yeah. Being really like the excited Adam, when it was on the Adam Clayton kind of, like, remix, dancing, yeah. like I, I jumping the, about, going bam. bam I love that Bono on the Edge did Goldeneye, and Adam Clayton did uh, was it the the Mission Impossible? Made the game. right choice. <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, I like Goldeneye too, but it, but it, 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 it was so it was so good. Yeah, well, like I, I did like the new theme song they had in the trailer. You know, it starts off like the normal, and then it gets into, and then there's an actual lyrics to it. I like that. Do you what? remember the trailer? Do you guys remember the, no, the first trailer? You're gonna have to give me. Yeah, like it starts with. Can the, you sing it for you us? Know, it, no, I'm not singing it for. The trailer uh, to this film. Yeah, the trailer to this film. It had the you know the it was a new like remix of the down 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 and then it's oh, like it was it's like, like, lyrics. It was, it was like yeah yeah that's that should have been in song from the second. Film. No, but there's like there's there, a there's there, a mixture of those two that and then there's lyrics to the song and it is it is actually really great. Yeah, I mean, I Not feel like one. this is the only time that we stood up on Limp Bizkit on this podcast. Did Kanye West do a version for the third one and then they stopped doing it? Uh, <laughs> I, vaguely, they might have. I vaguely remember hearing this somewhere that Kanye West did something for the third one and then they dropped bringing Very in quietly. every time. Good. But I, love I do like, like that they have the theme tune at the beginning and they kind of show you the little snippets of all the... The stunts that the are stunts. yet to come because it is it, it, it speaks to the confidence of well. what Mission they're doing. Do that since the first one, yeah, because since the show they would show yeah. what what was going to happen in each episode. Yeah, and it, they've clearly identified that as mm. something worth. Doing. This is a Mission Impossible thing. Mm. Yeah, and the audience might not know <laughs> that the, or have forgotten that these are Mission Impossible things, but whether it's because of Cruz or whoever there is someone there going this is what Mission Impossible movie should be this is what we sh- they should do and they should do these things because they work like this, the, the opening showing the little snippets and the theme tune it sets it up and it sets the tone yeah. you know I get not to complain too much about Bond movies but they set up they have this very well pre-established thing of setting up the tone of the film with the opening sequence 
but now they're all very dreary. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's thematic and yeah. sort of it's like, uh, look at how serious we are. Yeah, so we're I mean, like we're all assuming his wife gets killed in this in the opening of the first of the new film, right? Yeah, because with 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 Bond movies now, it's always I, I think they're dragged down by how the audience see them, and it's like, well, if a spy did this in real life, it would have the following consequences. geopolitical it, yeah. consequences. Well, it might just be Whereas like, in Mission Impossible is like, yeah, none Grand of this is done. real. Yeah. Put on your mask. Let's go. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I feel like Bond movies will be good, but like every second one won't. Like like, like Star Trek movies, that it'll be like. Well, it was the, the odd numbers, and then it became okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I think they've just hit a point. Like I think Bond movies need to relax. And yeah, then... and hopefully uh, with the casting of either Idris Elba or Henry Cavill, that will happen. Uh, okay, I don't think those are happening, but we'll. They are. Either Idris Elba or <laughs> Henry Cavill are the big. <laughs> we have to get the next Daniel Craig one out of yeah. the way first. <laughs> I know, but again, this is what we talk about. It'll probably say... be Craig again after that. Oh God, I hope not. Oh yeah, there'll I be the wonderful him. press circuit where he'll talk about wanting to slit his wrists. At least, like when you do, when Tom Cruise does <laughs> oh, his God. when Tom Cruise does his like yeah, viral promoting Mission Impossible films. There's never threatened suicide. Instead, it's like learning how to make heart emojis with his hands. Come on, tell me that's not he adorable. He would be a good Scientologist if he... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there, there are stories about that. There are stories that have been told about various things uh, involving, uh, yes, psychiatry and people who have visited psychiatrists and people who Tom Cruise Listen knows. Listen to um, Dead Authors um, uh, podcast, the uh, two-part um, Andy Daly as L. Ron Hubbard is so good. Like, like, uh, treat yourselves, listeners. <laughs> um, I, I, um, yeah, if 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 you want if you want something to like perfectly uh, skewer uh, Scientology, because I probably sound like I'm very kind of like easy on Scientology. I think I'm easy on Tom Cruise. I do. I, I, I like, 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 and uh, pe- there's the world is f- for some reason full of Tom Cruise apologists who are like, I think he's going to walk away from Scientology. I do. Like, like people who say that. I'm not saying that, but, but they, it, he, he has this insidious charm. About insidious him. is probably the word. Yeah. yeah. Tom, Tom, Tom Cruise the devil. Tom Cruise gets asked to make hearts with his hands and about what his favorite movie is during interviews because if you ask him when was the last time you spoke to your daughter Tom Cruise the interview gets shut down yeah Uh, there was a period I think in 2006 where he was away from his daughter for 110 days as part of a retreat I still think it's been years since he that that came up um, during a court case I think one of the he sued for defamation basically he sued for defamation the case was dropped very quietly when it turned out that actually yeah, he was away for 110 days and didn't have any contact with her whatsoever. And yes, he did turn his children against Nicole Kidman to the point where when Nicole Kidman wins awards now and she thanks her kids, she doesn't thank those kids because they don't <laughs> see each other anymore. Aww. Well, there's the famous story Paul Haggis tells about how he had Nicole Kidman's phone tapped, or, which went up and coming clear, going clear. Or how that um, that one actress um, was sent to like scrub duty down in the pit for Scientologists when it didn't work out her being Cruz's girlfriend wow I didn't hear that one the she was in the, this actress this particular actress has been in How I Met Your Mother and she's been in a few things and okay. she was an avowed Scientologist she was big into it and they told her that she had this, they had this big project for her and she was very excited and the project as it turned out was being Cruz's uh, new girlfriend uh, after Penelope Cruz I think it was and it didn't work out 
And I think in particular it didn't work out because she said the wrong thing about David Miscavige at some point and Cruz got oh. really mad. So she was out. She was sent to scrub toilets with a toothbrush down in the hole where they throw bad Scientologists. Uh, and well, that's camp. when they brought in um, Katie Holmes for Cruz instead. Cruz is a maniac, people. Yeah, he's a, he's a great action star. He does great work. But he's a maniac, and we don't yet know that. This is now a Tom Cruise conspiracy podcast. I'm sorry for derailing the <laughs> no, format no, 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 of the show. So dark. I'll, I'll cut it there. I'll to cut be it there. absolutely clear, all of this stuff will be footnoted in the pod in the podcast notes to prevent any possible defamation lawsuit from taking place. Um, and in case there isn't, this podcast would like to distance itself <laughs> from these comments. This but, podcast will self destruct in five seconds. I apologize if the podcast never ends. I, I would, I, I, I would be delighted if this podcast got sued for nothing that I have said. <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be the. I mean, I'm right there with you. I would be like, what? Um, before we, before we finish up, though, can I ask, just in terms of Tom Cruise, because we talked a little bit about Tom Cruise, do you think <laughs> a Tom, little bit, a little Tom smidge. Cruise is? Do you think he's benefited from the fact that we are effectively in a post movie star age? Like, I think that it's been argued that there are no longer real movie stars. In fact, even... Dwayne I don't know, Johnson... Darren. What do you think? Okay. Yeah. I feel you, like you have... You, you, pre- <laughs> you propositioned the question because I think you have the answer. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Fine. Because I will say, he's okay. Films still go... Film goers go to see a Tom Cruise film because, let's face it, Mission Impossible is, be, exists be, not because of no one else but Tom Cruise. Yeah. You don't go for Ving Rhames. You don't go for Simon Pegg. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson has literally only been in two films, and Michelle Monaghan, let's face it, she's not been doing much. And that's the kind of... She hasn't! She was only in the first season of True Detective and starring in her own show and all these... What's other... that show? Uh, I'll Google it and bring it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 but yeah, um, but no, I think, I think Cruz has benefited from the fact that we know longer... <laughs> Michelle Monaghan is very good. <laughs> she is. Very she deserves good. a lot better. She is very good. Yes. Yeah. No. The, the, sorry. And the, the, um, Do you want, okay, let's, go, let's actually go to the fact machine like, and check this. That, no. You ruined no, the flow of the conversation, it's, Graham. It's sad now. The, 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 no, but Tom Cruise brings much woe. The, there's a real shame to this movie, actually, that, that like, I felt like that Tom Cruise is, uh, is uh, and Ethan Hunt are such kind of strong characters Maybe it does come down to the 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 the, the kind of uh, what is the um, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, small, small little dick. Little 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 Just everything energy. has to listen. Everything yeah. comes as much as it is a self-deprecating so thing. Like, like it all think, just have to revolve around him. It's the path by the first movie. Cool. And if you think about the first movie and how strong um, all of the kind of characters when it. I, um, all of the characters were in it, and by the way, how dark that movie was! Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the um, like for um, West of us. Yeah, get you, stabbed through the face with a knife that's hanging from the top of an elevator. No, just in it's case, not, it's that's the, not. It's the, it's the it's the break things. They come down and they all they're jagged and go into his face. Uh, yeah, I know, I, I know. I'm just remarking on the absurdity of the premise of his it, execution. Director uh, Brian I, De Palma. Yeah, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's like a it, it is a it it's is a Brian death De Palma machine, movie, yeah. but also like the the characters, even like. 
like what small amount we have of Emilio Estevez, we really don't want him to die. No. <laughs> like, I mean, John Renault's barely. John Renault is only in a section of it. And he's brilliant he's in the section he's in. Yeah, and and Ving Rhames in that movie is so much better than 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 in this movie. And and, and they're, they're, like it shows that it's like in, tired. in a Mission Impossible movie. In, and by the way, Tom the, the, Ethan Hunt was none the lesser for having um, any That's of these like incredible. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 characters around him, and yet, and yet, this movie. Does, I, I mean, there is Henry, Henry Cavill, who we all, who we all like a lot, but he was also harmless, sort of like, like, like the, but everyone's really, harmless against in, him in, 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 in a way that, like, even kind of like, um, um, like nobody in the in 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 the first movie um, uh, was um, would be phased by August Walker. Like, yeah. even Jan Reno would just stab him with a knife. Yeah, there, every, everyone, everybody was kind of uh, lethal and important yeah. in in the first movie, yeah. um, and 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 in this, it, it's it's kind of it, it's it's a very sort of uh, watered down kind of PG thirteen. I think that's part of its strength. Yeah. I, I mean, watch watching watching the Mission Impossible movie, the first movie again. There are parts of it that don't really stand up terribly well, but but it, but it, but it, but, it, but it is a very kind of. Um, dark kind of suspenseful character. Well, it's a it's a Brian of, De Palma film. Like you yeah. would, you could argue that like the first three films in the series are all all torture. And I think most of the films are. Like I think the first four films are. So for example, the first one is recognizably a Brian De Palma film. It's got this sort of Hitchcock type tension running through. It's got this masked identities, duplicity. It's got this sort of like post Cold War anxiety. It's like you wake up one day and you discover the president of the United States is making decisions and he isn't even asking you about them. And then you also have the second one, which is very much a John Woo film. There's a moment where characters throw themselves off bikes, grab each other, wrestle it's with like two guns. To take their face yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, while the motorbikes explode in the background, there's then the third film which is very much a J.J. Abrams film it opens in media res it has a lot of like writerly quirks going on it draws attention to how complex and unnecessarily complex it is uh, it has this sort of like here's how I fix this franchise element to it that sort of J.J. Abrams kind of specializes in it, it has this like Brad Bird is the fourth film it has this sort of like Brad Bird kinetic energy <laughs> yeah Andrew, I don't like J.J. Andrew Abrams does not care I'm, for J.J. I'm, Abrams I'm, I'm sorry I don't hate them like, but anyway, sorry, go on. But the fourth one has this sort of like Brad Bird quality to him where it's sort of like playful, it's kinetic, it's very much leaning on its stunt sequences. Like, I can't remember any detail of the fourth film outside of the fact that it's got really nice set pieces in it. Like, the bad he, guy he is runs Michael from a storm. He runs yeah. from a sandstorm. Yeah. I love but the... Why? Uh, but why? Yeah, but why? Yeah, why is he running? And he's chasing after, uh, he's chasing after the villain. Why, why the, is he chasing? What does the villain? Why does have? anyone chase the villain? Because he wants to catch the villain. The villain has the the villain has the um, the the MacGuffin of the piece. There and we so go. He, chase, he has to chase him, uh, yeah. chase after him into a sandstorm. That's the reason. I love the fake. You're just hand. worried because I know what happens. I love the fake hand in in, uh, in Ghost Protocol. Which fake hand? Uh, Simon Payne. Oh yeah. Right. Don't what? you remember he he was he was doing something with his real hand and he had a oh a, yeah a he, had fake hand. he had a false hand and he, he was being a, a, a waiter I thought that was incredible because yeah. it was so silly yeah <laughs> um, yeah but it's I, very practical and and these films though are, are Macquarie films and Macquarie doesn't necessarily have a, a particular auteurish sort of style to them to the point where you could argue again Tom Cruise is the auteur but he's Macquarie is the writerly one it's the one that has like actual plot to it. But he kind of actually proves, has themes and ideas. It kind of proves that he, like, it's so un, 
Um, like I, I, I definitely agree with you. And it's so unauthorish that he doesn't mind taking things from other Mission Impossible movies and taking things from other not Mission Impossible <laughs> movies. Like the, 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 the quantum, like the thing that you, you've already mentioned, the opera sequence in Rogue uh, Nation. Yeah. That's entirely yeah. Quantum of Solace. You have no to reason the point to where watch even Qu- I realized it. Yeah, you have no reason <laughs> to watch Quantum of Solace anymore. You can see Macquarie do this in other films. For example, Macquarie was, he did a rewrite on The Mummy. Ah, uh, okay. And oh yeah. The Mummy, the big sequence that they used to sell it because what the hell else are you going to sell something as terrible as The Mummy was the plane crash in the middle of the film, which is not where he gets bounced around. Which is not a scene that you should find in a horror blockbuster about a mummy yep. but you might expect to find it in a Mission Impossible movie. Or you also can say that he took from the previous mummy franchise where there's the screaming sand face but this time it's a girl. So he's seeking inspiration from all across the globe. One of, I don't know, 50 writers on, on the mummy. Yeah. And the Dark Universe. Rest in peace. Hey, we yeah. tried our best. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone should know that Andrew was part of the Dark Universe. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew was going to write the. Andrew was going to be part of the Jekyll and Hyde film. Russell Crowe was in Massive Talks. It was meant to be a big launching pad. Again, I love the idea that we live in a world where Universal were like, let's make a summer blockbuster franchise out of our Universal horror movies, and it failed three times. We had the where we had the Wolfman, we had Dracula Untold. Even though I like Dracula Untold. And what were these movies? Yeah, yeah. I do not remember this. No. Each one of these movies we're was supposed, supposed to jumpstart a franchise. They're supposed to be the Iron Man of like the Universal. Yeah. Wolfman universe. was first with Benicio del Toro and Anthony Hopkins. What? Uh, when that didn't work, they went to Dracula Untold with uh, Charles Evans? Dance and Luke what? Evans. What is what? And then they went to the Mummy. Um, with and Russell Crowe and Tom Cruise. All these movies happen. And yes. all of these are like big blockbuster movies. They're not horror movies. They're no. not like low budget sort of like, ooh, Dracula's scary. It's like, no, Dracula has an army. Yeah, Dracula can make a fist. Dracula can make a fist of bats and and the Wolfman is basically like this superhuman Hulk who can like beat the... who. who to be fair to that film, like there was a lot of gore and violence in that film that actually was quite disturbing and his transformations were pretty good. But... It, it's like it just. I remember it's just Wolf with Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah no, that, that, that wasn't part of the dark thing to, no, no, uh, to no, do with any of no, this. No, Andrew, I think the Wolf was like two, three decades ago, <laughs> and course. had um, yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer and David Spade. The real Universal horror is Tom Cruise. Like when he tapped uh, Nicole Kidman's phone while they were still married. Okay, good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Tom Cruise conspiracy hour. Um, <laughs> We're going to wrap it up there uh, before the defamation lawsuits come in. Um, but actually... Hey, like, can we no, have, no, seriously. Can we have a paid like version of the podcast where we defame Tom Cruise? <laughs> we have to pay... Behind the paywall. This is all on the record. I, I, no, 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 it is. And then there will be notes that will happen. No, I, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I specifically cited Paul Haggis because... We haven't because... defamed him yet. No. But the living manifestation of destiny. No, that's... <laughs> whoa, 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 okay... Edit break. Cut, cut that <laughs> yeah, we're gonna cut, cut that, that part. part. Then, thank you for that. We'll just leave a little snippet in there. The Mission Impossible theme. <laughs> but, uh, you can imagine what Luke said, and it's probably can we leave in the bit where you're no, saying we'll just, say just cut about... that part. Luke, yeah, what did you say? No, 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 no. no, 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 no. I have been advised not to repeat. <laughs> no, 
the libelous. We do have libel laws here in Ireland as well. Yeah. From legal I thought this was Ireland. Yeah. I thought this was Ireland. So, Darren is, is, the, is the law graduate. Of yeah, and in that capacity, I'm wrapping up the podcast. I'm bringing the hammer down. You guys have gone rogue Yay. once too often. Do you want to ghost us? You are you are both arsonist and fireman, ladies and gentlemen. We're our own worst enemy. <laughs> Normally, when people say that, it's just a figure of speech. We are the um, living manifestation of destiny. I, I really just want Alec Baldwin to be my friend, so he can say cool things about. Yeah, him. don't doesn't everyone? I, part of me loves the fact that yeah, the most unbelievable stunt in this is Alec Baldwin going toe to toe with Henry Cavill. Oh um, yeah. yeah, for for <laughs> eight seconds. <laughs> he lands like three blows. It's like he gets him literally. Henry up against Cavill, him. it seems like lets him do that. While you punch me, I'm going to get this knife and stab you. Stab, stab. But stab. I mean, Baldwin. Stab. Now I know we're I know we're wrapping up, but but Baldwin as an actor should have been a Henry Cavill, but thought he was like a Pacino yeah. kind of thing. So it's nice. He, it's <laughs> he nice he had his little moment. Yeah. His character, yeah. It was nice that his character had his little I do, I do love that uh, apparently when they were shooting that sequence, they actually had to adjust Henry Cavill's shoulder uh, because they couldn't get the proper angle on Alec Baldwin's face <laughs> well, uh, because uh, Cavill's shoulder was just too large. Alec Baldwin has always been um, uh, like recognizably a comic character, though. He, he had, I, He's always had... Like, I, I think like, Baldwin like, is... by, by, Back to, like, Beetlejuice. Mm. Like... But at the same time, you also had the time when he was like with Kim Basinger doing stuff like the Getaway and stuff like that, where he was, or even the the Jack Ryan movie that he did, yeah, know, the Hunt for Red October. I mean, like Hollywood at one point wanted him to, Hollywood at one point wanted him to be one of the first superheroes. He was the Shadow. No, no one else remember that film. I I remember it, but I I, I liked it too. Oh. It's ridiculous and stupid, but I liked it. But yeah, I, I, they Bold. also they also wanted Billy Zane. To be <laughs> he does, yeah, who was he? Was the Phantom? Wasn't yeah, he was the Phantom. Oh, was Alec Baldwin the bad guy in that one? If I remember correctly, no, 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 Baldwin? it was someone else. Was, was someone it else. another Baldwin? No, it was not a Baldwin. <laughs> okay, damn it. Anyway, we're gonna wrap up. Uh, so, uh, the Baldwin era. If people uh, want to find you online, Luke, where can they find you? I am on filmindublin.ie. And Graham. Uh, I'm on Game Air. That's my gaming site. Uh, Speaking Geek. That's my E-I-R. Yeah, thank you. Actually, yeah, I never do that. G A N E I R. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Uh, Speaking Geek, uh, which is the podcast for, on the Scan On Network. Uh, I'm sometimes on the Scan On uh, podcast. Um, uh, I have my web, I have my uh, so, sorry. Uh, I have my own Twitter, which is Graham Geek Era, and uh, that is. It. I do yes. like. I do like that you remembered all the other stuff. It was your personal thing that you completely forgot there. I like, There's a lot of things. To, I, I, I'm getting really tired. For, We've been here for two hours. For international listeners, yes, Gamer, um, Graham Geek Era, and Scanon are, are all Irish. Are all part of Irish words. Are all yeah. Irish um, words. Now those two hours will be one hour once the legal team <laughs> <laughs> has finished getting through this podcast. I, like I say, I hope that we keep the bit. <laughs> yeah, I really do too. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Please, please, yeah, please. Will. Yeah. Um, but uh, Andrew, what about yourself? Where can we find you online? Uh, uh, in four Tom Cruise's lawyers of yeah. the two fifty. Um, and uh, for no, um, where where can you find me online? Um, Twitter. Um, oh, do you know what we should do? I should say. Find us on our Facebook page for 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 the two fifty. That way, by the time this comes out, 
I'll have had to create the, uh, the 250, 250 Facebook. Facebook page. Of legend. I have tried this before with my... You have, with it? your mukbang. Mukbang, which you, didn't You announced two months ago. <laughs> it was and during Anime April, and which we're still uh, we all waiting. We're still waiting for the first episode. But don't worry, by the time this podcast comes out, I am 100% certain that Andrew will have produced the 250 Just in time Facebook. for, like, when everyone's, um, like, o- older relatives are on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you can point them that's forth. our audience. Um, um, but yeah, so you can follow the 250 at, at the 250. Uh, you can follow us online, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, please feel free to leave a good review. Uh, if you like it, tell everybody. If you don't like it, tell us. We'll be back next week, where we'll be covering Into the Wild with Jack Hodges, I believe. Yes. Oh. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. Take it easy, guys. Bye. 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 Love you, Jeremy.